Broadcasting from the third coast and recorded live at Tripod South Studios, this is The Hango Show. I need to get inside your head. I got to know if you insane. Well, I'm kind of glad that I decided to tell him to get the same setup just so that if I ever have to, you know, ask a technical question, I can always say, hey, well, you know. I'll do the best I can. Well, you do a pretty damn good job. <laughs> I, I do what I can. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Hango Show. This is your host, Hango Wooden. Tonight, I'm here with my buddy, Jay. We're still up here in, in uh, the great state of Missouri doing a little vacation time. And uh, we had a good time the other night doing Megacast. And Jay's sitting in on that just absolute bucket of debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> but we had, a, we had a really good time. And I want to get Jay on here. We're going to do a little... Maybe a little bit more financial talk again, since that's what your specialty is. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing well. And yourself? Oh, I cannot complain. After that delicious food we had last night, courtesy of of the wizard Matt over at the Rack House, it was so good. Dang. Absolutely. It was amazing and uh, well thought out menu. Yes. And uh, great Lego set. <laughs> Lego set dessert. Exactly. The deconstructed carrot cake. And Emily and I were talking about it uh, just, you know, after we left turn the mic like this after we left here if you need to tilt it down you can there you go how about that if that's what works for you that's good okay yeah we were talking about how good it was i mean and we always kind of judge things by emily's mom's carrot cake and Mm -hmm. it kind of met the uh criteria that's the criteria it wasn't all dry or anything oh it was amazing but uh yeah we won't get right into this i guess um i texted you the other night about this app i saw called yoda or yada y-o-t-t-a correct that what it was and I guess the concept was this guy hated the lottery. And so he wanted to create an app where people could actually save money, alleged, you know, put money into a savings account that would randomly generate a scratcher or lottery ticket in the app. And they had a chance to win anything from a few thousand dollars to a Tesla to $10 million. That was the, the big prize. And I send it to you like, hey, what do you think about this thing? And we met for we met for a little late night snack after that. You tell everybody what you thought about about Yada. Well, my first impression was is that it it might be a good alternative for people that were, you know, trying to do something a little bit different. So I I went in there and read in, deeply into the reviews just to kind of get under because I'd never heard of it before. So I was trying to get an understanding of what was going on there. So. So there's a nominal interest rate that they pay, very, very nominal. I think it's 0.02%. Yeah, two-tenths or something yeah. like that. And uh, I guess the catch is is that you, you know, get an opportunity to win prizes and things like that. One of the one of the big concerns that I see all people have is that although they loved the concept, uh, when it came to the payouts, when they won prizes, they weren't actually getting prizes. And uh, when they tried to make withdrawals, they were being uh, stymied by – uh, the fact that the, I guess the people that created the app or whoever the banking partner was, wasn't allowing their deposits to settle, and then their their withdrawals wouldn't settle back to where they wanted it. So Uh-oh. there was it's very cumbersome for them to um, see their deposit finalized, and very cumbersome for them to make withdrawals. Which in this day and age, when people think electronic, they think immediate, mm-hmm. right? Right, and. I could see where they would try. I could see where the app creator or the banking partner would try to minimize uh, money laundering by 
slowing things down so they could vet it. But when your average customer can't get a hundred dollars out of their, you know, savings account that they've put all their eggs in that basket, you no, know, they want to be able to get back to their cash. And then I, <clears throat> just one example of the prize situation. One of the one of the uh, raiders, uh, raiders of the uh, app said that they won a three thousand dollar prize. Uh, and when they never got it, they tried to challenge the app, and the app said, "Oh, we're so sorry, your account's being closed, and you're not going to get the the money." So it was almost like a, they, it, there was a very, you know, spread out within the reviews. There was a lot of people claiming there were scams involved. So. Whether or not it was a scam or just wasn't a great execution plan on how to do that. Right. Um, but at any rate, when you are doing something without looking somebody in the face, you know, you can't go into a place to get your money. You're kind of at that risk, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of the, the synopsis of that app is, is a great idea, great um, concept, um, but the execution seemed to be kind of – up and down. Mm-hmm. And I would see the app creator make comments back and forth to the, to the reviewers and say, you know, our intention is not to, to have an issue. We trying to get this resolved, but then things would ne- just never get, re- they'd come back and say the the consumer would come back and say, no, well, nothing ever happened. So, right. Um, I think, you know, and we were kind of comparing it to other apps and stuff like right. that, like Robin hood and stuff like that. I had a business customer of mine who was taking all their payments through Venmo just to try to save money on the back end from card processing. Right. And literally the money just completely disappeared. Mm. And Venmo couldn't get it back for him. So, you know, you just got to be real careful when you're dealing with, uh, you know, f- you know, fintech companies or financial technology companies. A lot of great ideas, but in our free market society, anybody can make an app, you know, and and I know they have to have some FDIC coverage if they're considered a bank. Mm-hmm. This Yoda app, when I read kind of a little bit deeper into it, they have a banking partner. I could not figure out who the banking partner was, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure what, you know, I could look a little bit more, but that's not something that I would theoretically get involved in with myself, but good concept. Yeah, Um then I think that exact scenario you just described is the reason so many people, uh, our parents' generation, are so weary about using any kind of fintech app or banking app in general is because they want to see somebody eye to eye when they hand them money at the bank and make a deposit or make a withdrawal or write a check. They, they're like, my mom says it all the time, well, how do I know? my money is going where you say the app says it is. How do I know that? And that's a great example of why the generation before us has such a hard time grasping onto any kind of financial technology like that. Absolutely. And I, I see it a lot with uh, just as simple as online statements, you know, Mm. it's the same content. It's just a different delivery channel. Instead of getting one in the mail, they're getting one. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, Getting one in the mail can cause. I mean, you can you can your identity be, can be compromised electronically or physically, right, by mail or electronically. But there's a little bit more protection theoretically at a firewall, you know, or in the background being delivered where you have maybe multi multi step authentication or something like that. But if your statements in the mail, 
Anybody could rip that open and look mm-hmm. at your stuff, right? So it, it's, it could still be compromised electronically. But my point is, is that there are a lot of consumers that are elderly or of the of a past generation where they they want to feel a piece of paper in their hand. They want to, they don't care if it costs them three dollars a month, take five dollars a month, whatever it is. They want a piece of paper. I remember um, when when you got your bank statement in the mail, they sent you all your canceled checks. Yeah, that, that you had written. And our banks close close by, you know, twenty years ago went to just sending copies of the of the checks. They almost had a revolt um, among the older generation. Where are my? Ch- I don't want a copy of my canceled checks. I want my checks sent back to me. Right? <laughs> you know, it's just another step in technology. And even going from the actual check to a printed copy of it wasn't enough for them. They wanted that canceled check. Absolutely. When my dad was around, he had literally seven years of everything, canceled checks, statements, you know, IRS, you know, paperwork, everything that you could possibly think of, he had seven years' worth of paper. Yeah. That's why file cabinets were so important back then. Oh, yeah, you know? sure. I had a shoebox. When I was a, as a teenager, I had a shoebox, and I put my bank statements in there every month because that's what I was told to do. Put it, Absolutely. Put it in, that, in there. When I uh, was living with my grandparents while I was going to college, you know, we still got – paper payroll checks for my job. Absolutely. Um, I would, you know, I'd walk in, you know, with the envelope in my hand and it started been open. I went and cashed the check or redeposited or whatever. My grandmother would go, well, what's in the envelope? Like I said, pay stub. You could, she's like, no, you keep your pay stubs. She's one of you have to, have to contest how many hours you're like, they keep my hours straight. How do you know? Did you check your pay stub? You know, but that's that old school union mentality of did they get your hours right? Absolutely. You know, my grandmother and grandfather went through their pay, payroll stub with a fine tooth comb when they got it to make sure everything was right. <laughs> and and people should do that. They should. Yes. You know, and what, what what's happened in the society when you don't get paper, and sometimes even when they do get paper, but within a statement, I'm not sure what all banks do, but the bank that I'm at, any communication that they're communicating to consumers, they put in the top half of the first page of the statement. So if they're going to change something, a fee a process. I believe it's like a 90 day window that they start telling people before they actually put it into place. But it's probably about 95 to 97% of the time. If I ask someone, well, did you happen to read the information in your statement? What information? You know, well, this is how we communicate to customers because we can't, we don't always see you. You don't go online or you don't, you're not, you know, set up for text messages or whatever. So this is how we communicate. This is a different channel to communicate. But so many times people are like, well, I don't, I have no idea what you're talking about, you know. <laughs> so if out there in uh, the ether out there, check your statements. Make sure that you're reading, sure. a, reading all, even if you get it electronically, just make sure you guys are looking at that. There is a, um, anything you got to contest is regulated. So if you have, uh, you know, something that is not right on the statement and you have to do, um, you know, you have to contest it. You have a 60 day window to get that done. It's regulated by law. So, and then they have about 10 days to get it right for you or, and then 45 days to make a final decision. So they, you know, they give you, give you provisional credit or, um, and if they find out that it actually was something that you did that you just didn't remember, um, then they can take the credit back. Gotcha. But it's a, you know, maximum of 45 days, but, you got to get that 
I tell people, look at their statement every month, make sure that everything is the way it's supposed to be. Well, I'll give you an example. I had a, something happen similar, and this is, I learned my lesson here. Uh, one morning, I was going to go see my massage therapist, and she takes cash. It's, it's a cash business. And so I went by the bank to grab some cash out of the ATM and uh, put my card in, requested the money, like 100 bucks out. Uh, it took like 15 seconds, and it spit my card out and said, sorry, not available. Well, that's weird, so I put it in again, $100, 15 seconds, spit my card out, sorry, not available. N- not, not that the cash wasn't available in my account, the cash wasn't available at the ATM. I said, well, crap, you know. So um, luckily she had Venmo. I was able just to shoot her some, some cash. And uh, check I check my app. I was $200 short in my app. So the bank had, the ATM had processed it as it had gave me the cash. Oh. But it never gave me the cash. And it didn't even offer me a receipt. Right. So now I've got to call the call center for my bank, you know. And the first thing, I called my actual branch where I did it, just down the road from my house. They said, did you get a receipt? I said, well, it didn't even offer me a receipt. And they're like, well, you're going to need to um, call the corporate number. Great. So I had to call them. They opened an investigation. We're very apologetic. I mean, they didn't place any blame on me at all. And I'm like, like, we're so sorry. I'm like, it's not your fault. It was a machine problem because we're dealing with machines. Um. They're like, we're going to give you a $200 provincial credit, um, and you should get a, a, something from us within the next 14 days, a statement of some sort, you know. And about 10 days into it, they sent me a, a thing in the mail, said, you're clear, the credit's yours, it's been totally released now, you're, you're good. But what if I would have been my other generation, a generation before us, and had I been talked into using these ATMs, and now I don't know what to do Uh to get my money back or what if I only had $200 in my account yeah. and now I'm down to nothing and I got to wait 14 days to get that money back. Absolutely. That's, that happens more times than you would even imagine. I would, I would imagine. Yeah. And imagine if you're on vacation. Mm. Okay. And that happens. Well, I mean, you can still get a resolution by calling. You can get, you can get the resolution started. But that doesn't mean $200 is going to be in your account again. I tell people every time they say, hey, do I need to let you know that I'm traveling? Yes, you do. If they tell me that, I said, and do you have another card that you're going to take with you in case something happens to this card? And I always recommend that people have a card that they, first of all, when they travel, they check all of their cards to to make sure that there's no uh, security watch or block on there. Because if you have a card in your wallet that you use as a backup, but you you haven't used it in a while, it's possible that somehow a skimmer or some kind of remote device has tried to compromise your card. And if you don't have an email address on file with your bank or you don't get text alerts or they try to call you and it shows up as a number you don't recognize and you don't answer, it could they could be trying to tell you that your card's compromised. And if you're on vacation, you try to pull that backup card out and it's compromised, well, they can get you a new card. But you don't have it to use while you're on vacation. So I always tell people to go with multiple methods and make sure that everybody in your group if it's a family that you know the cards have been checked to make sure there's no holds watches or anything like that and that you have a backup plan yeah it's so cool that you brought up the whole travel thing because after you were on uh the first time or 
last year about this time when we did the first three hour financial podcast we did. Um, man, that like you turned Tink's head upside down when you said to get the prepaid card from your bank. Mm-hmm. Dude, when she heard, I was sleeping when she was listening to it. I was going back on my work schedule. And I uh, got up, and she's like, oh, my God. She said, Jay just nailed it with that prepaid card. She said, the minute I heard it, I got on my bank's website and ordered one, you know, because you know, us traveling right now, it's a perfect time to use it. Absolutely. Um, whenever I travel uh, places I'm not familiar with, I usually put my gas on a, a credit card. And I think I told you the other day, I said, man, American Express has been driving me up the wall since I left for vacation because every time I stop to like put gas in, in the truck, pop up. Did you use this <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, Missouri? Did you use it in Tennessee? I'm like, yeah. You know, but it's good that we have financial institutions who are willing to say, "Hey, something could be going on." Yep, so, you know? absolutely. And it's good, you know, that there. That it's it's probably you know an algorithm based on where you live, and that's why you, you if you're going to travel with your cards. There's a mechanism in every card, whether you go on their website or you call to let them know you're traveling and what states you're going to be in and what the time frames are so that they can be aware of what's going on. I mean, they're not going to physically be watching every move you make, but if that's in the system, they know that, hey, your card's being used in Missouri or Tennessee or Oklahoma or wherever it's at, but you're not in California. Right. So you know, something if a, if a card's been duplicated or replicated – by a, by a uh, device, then that's when you would know. Hey, I'm not in California, right? You know, so it's that's just one good way to to protect yourself is have multiple methods. Let your bank know that you're going, and uh, even your banker, because sometimes the fraud departments of different banks will reach out to your local branch and say, Hey, do you know if uh, if X Y Z customer is if this is what what's going on? So. Uh, we do that with with checks to it. Like if you're writing a large check to an individual, and it's not, it's it's a one off thing, they may check on that because large checks to individuals tend to be fraudulent, you know. So if you're ever going to write a, a larger check to buy a piece of equipment or buy something, it's not a bad idea to let your bank know, hey, I'm going to be writing this bigger check so that you know if it comes up and they can't get a hold of you, they don't return it. Right. Yeah, that's. Uh I have to remind Tink to call the bank before we, if we go out of out of country or something. Like, be sure to call the bank. <laughs> no, just a reminder because I'll call them. You know, I, I do like you. I check with my local branch also. Hey, I'm going here, but I'm also calling. So if they contact you, just put a, a, a thing in my file. Hey, yep. he's going to be out of the country these days. Of course, typically when I go out of country, I try to use credit instead of my debit just to pr- protect myself. And yes. when you're traveling out of the country, you actually get a better exchange rate using your card, your your credit card. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, you're you're so on the debit side of things, you can actually get um, feed for using something outside the country. Mm. So you before you go out of the country, you want to find out what the you know what kind of rate are you going to get while you're traveling on that card because depending on what country it is, it could be a different rate. If you if you've got to go do a cash advance in a bank over there to mm. get cash mm-hmm. um, or you're using an AT- always use an ATM if you're going to do an exchange rate because the the cards like MasterCard, Visa, things like that, they get the best rates. So if you go to a money exchange person and you exchange currency for currency, you're kind of at the mercy of their yeah. 
elevated rate, you know? Yeah. The, just for those who travel, um, in the Caribbean, mostly you can use American money. Like in, in the Bahamas, it's one to one. And a lot of times it seems like they prefer American cash over Bahamian cash. I think it's, they don't print a lot of Bahamian cash to begin with. So most people use American money in the Bahamas. But if you go to Europe and you're, you're getting off the plane and you've got 300 bucks cash in, the first thing you see when you get off that plane in Europe, no matter if you're in Ireland, England, or somewhere on the mainland, first thing you see when you get off the plane is an exchange stall. Yep. And they have the exchanges for every currency printed behind them. But if you're not familiar with exchange rates, you don't know if you're getting duped or not. Right. And that's something people really need to be aware of. You're better off, in my opinion, unless you need cash right that minute. If you do need a little cash, like for a tip for the taxi or, or to pay for the taxi, only exchange a small amount of yours to get that little bit. And once you get into whatever city you're going to, maybe go to a local bank that make or research online which banks get the best rate for currency exchange. Absolutely. In the bank I'm at right now, we do carry the major currencies in a centrally located area. Mm-hmm. So if you came into my area and said, hey, I'm going to be going to Europe, you know, oh, you can check local before you even go. Well, you can you can actually get the currency. You're going to mm-hmm. get it is going to be more than the exchange rate by a few tenths, you know, but it's not extravagant. But that's where you get your tip packs. Okay. You can get like a, like if I'm going if I'm going to use um euro. Euros. Right. I could say, "Hey, I need a tip pack of euros. I want to get 100 bucks," which means I'm going to get some lower denominations is the what I mean by tip pack, you know. Right. And you don't go crazy because you don't really need a lot of cash right now. Um, and then when you bring it back, try to bring back bills instead of coin because coin you cannot re-exchange in the States normally right. unless you're in like New York or something like that. But um, get get as much – if you have coins on your way back, stop and get paper first if your bank allows you to exchange paper because paper takes up less room. And so usually in the States, if it's at a bank and not an exchange center, you're going to get uh, paper only. And you're probably going to get a, a better rate than if you even stop at the at the counter when you get into the country because they know you need the money, right? Right. So they're going to they're gonna put a little bit more on top of it. But just some travel tips. Well, I know when we, came, we were coming back from um, – when we were coming back from Ireland, they had like a little – bit of duty-free shopping on the plane back where you could buy like cigarettes and stuff uh tax-free and they were like if you have any coins be sure to use those on any items you want to buy on the plane and duty-free because once we get back to atlanta you can't really exchange those very well right and so that like give us all your coins count up as many coins as you got when you're going to buy this stuff and so i was like emptying out my pockets because uh, and on well, even I think even in Canada, they don't even have any everything that's lower than a five is in a coin. So you have like a one euro coin and a two euro coin, and then it, the bill start at five and go up from there. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. I think um, yeah, and you can you can what I've seen a lot lately, which is so weird, is um, for some reason, actually not lately, but in the past year, people are trying to buy thousands of dollars of like Vietnam money. And things like that. And when we ask them, well, why are you trying to buy this currency? Well, I'm buying it as an investment. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, somebody just got scammed, they you got know, not. or or someone read something on Reddit that they didn't understand or something like that. But let this me is not, this let me, is not how forex works. Yeah, let, me, let me just let me just tell you right now. 
It's a pipe dream. It is. Yes. If you're going to go load up on, on Thai bot, you're going to get took. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know you're trying to pay for some, some poor man's sex exchange sto- story over the uh, sex exchange uh, surgery, but it's not going to work. Um, you don't get into like a, uh, like housing and whatnot and cars let's, right let's now. Do it, yeah. So what do you think? Well, I'm telling Absolutely you what, crazy. Well, I just I just saw in the news that uh, mortgages in general, maybe not everywhere, but um, are you know climbing at five percent, climbing, but are currently at five percent for a thirty year mortgage. Five percent interest. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you think back, I believe, and I can't pinpoint the exact year, but in the '80s, I believe they were twelve. It was twelve and a half percent for for mortgage loans. Uh, even more than that at some time between the seventies and the, in the early nineties. But it sounds like a lot, but when you've doubled the rate in less than a year, because people were buying houses at two point something last year and now you're at five. So the buying power. So if you have, as an example of you, if you're trying to buy a $300,000 house, you know, you in, in the rate difference, you're probably looking like at an $80,000 purchase power difference. And that's that's a lot of purchase power oh, yeah. difference, you know. So you're you're talking about the same payment as your next door neighbor. He's got more house than you do, you know. Yep. So you said the other night you think, or I don't know if you'd think, but that you've heard rumblings of them raising the exchange rate multiple times this year. Yeah, not the, the exchange rate, the, the interest rate. Interest rate. Sorry. Yeah, I mean what I've heard or in in hearing things doesn't make it reality, but. Right. The thought is is that the Fed would most likely raise rates around six times this year, mm. um, and that's really just to to balance out all the f- quote unquote free money that was given away. You know, it's got to come from somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, and the Fed has had you know so low of rates over time for a long time since two thousand and one, since nine eleven. Yeah, it's it's been pretty cheap interest rates, right. you know, um, but savers are going to start making more interest. Uh, borrowing <laughs> borrowers are going to have a hard time. Yeah, but you know, we talked about people buying houses, people building houses right now. Yeah, uh, the the cost of supplies are just through the roof because everybody's scrambling to try to lock in a uh, to, to finance a house, either be building or buying, but building especially. Um, told a story about s- some stuff here locally where the builders they got a, they got the money together, and they went to build, and all of a sudden. All the supplies went through the roof, and they had to go back and say, "Hey, we ain't got enough money now." Right? What you the the money you passed for us to use a year ago, coupled with inflation, it, we're short big time, and we need more. Absolutely, yeah. And lumber costs are expensive. Labor costs are are, are going up. The people that you have that want to work are going to wor- want more money. Yep. You know, hey, look at us. We're we're here. Mm-hmm. Give us more money, and what are you going to say? No, then yeah. you're not going to get we'll your go to the house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, the interesting thing is, like I was telling you about the uh, a local school bond. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars short, right? And then what do you tell the taxpayer? You know, give us some more. <laughs> give us some more. You know, so it, it's just incredible. You know, and and things are just crazy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now you were mentioning the other day that you had a you, you knew somebody that um, had a panache for a panache for a pension or whatever you call that for uh, getting a new car all the time. <laughs> yeah, 
right? And that I told you that that can, tell the story us the, of tell us the story. Tell us the story. I want to wait and see if Tink will join us. Okay. That's really her story. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we'll come back to we'll that. come back to that one. But you go back to the cars. You know, as you know, I just I just purchased a, a new new ride, and you were asking me details as any good financial financial advisor would, <laughs> and you said yeah, you came out all right. You you came out right. The interest rate you got is right where it's supposed to be. Yep. All right. Where should people not be buying cars at what interest rate? Twenty seven point nine percent. You know anything over? I would say. Well, I mean, the interest rates are going to go up. So, mm-hmm. and used cars are very hard to find. Used cars are almost harder to find than new cars. Oh, yeah. Well, this is the reason. This is all coming together for a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. It's people hear the news that hey, interest rates are going up. They've been hearing that now for the last year, year and a half. As we're coming out of COVID, they're hearing, "Oh my gosh, interest rates are going up." I need to lock in a home loan, a car loan. I need to lock that. I need to get one. Even if I don't need it, I need to get one now because I'm going to need one in the next three years. Well, the next three years, interest is going to be through the roof, quote unquote, as we're being told. So I need to lock in that new loan now, even though I don't need it. And I'm going to be buying a car with lower interest, but it's <clears throat> it's 50% above its actual blue book value. So I'm getting into this car. I'm at a low interest rate, but I'm underwater from the get-go in this car. Yeah, I would always I would always make sure that um, when you're looking at cars, you want to look at over time what type of vehicle has the the least depreciation. For example, like Jeep, full size trucks, things like that. Good luck finding a full size truck. You right can't now. find a full size truck because they retain their value. Because uh, that was my original thought. Get a, a Ram. Get a Silverado, get something of that nature. Are, are you kidding me? I know. If you want one that actually runs and is somewhat comfortable, you're going to be paying over blue value for it. And trucks are already expensive as it is. Yes. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're going if you, if you get offered lending by a subprime lender, in Ooh, my opinion, I want to get into that too. Yeah, Keep going. In my opinion, there are some subprime lenders out there where almost anybody can get approved, and subprime just means that you're you're going through a financial institution that's not technically like a traditional lender. Yeah. You know, so you have your big banks that you can, anybody can think of. We won't name them all, but those are your traditional lenders. And then you have some subprime lenders that are just like financial institutions. And uh maybe some online financial institutions like that. And and they will uh allow you to get into the car, but then you got like a 9, 10% interest rate, sometimes higher than that. So Credit score, you know, your credit score is going to affect that. The, the, your borrowing history is going to affect that. Your income is going to affect that. So, I I prefer to get my lending before I go car shopping, so that I know what I can afford, right? Right. And the dealers don't like that. Dealers like when you do financing with their finance guy, like we've mentioned before, because that's where they make their money. Right. And that's why when you're in the finance office, they're trying to sell you the wheel package. The leather rip package, the scratch package, because anything they add on to it, they're going to get some money. I mean, yeah, it's beneficial to you, but they're skimming the whole time. But they're they're making money off of that. And we're not we're not saying they shouldn't, no, because they are a business, right? They should. They're for. But if you're looking out for yourself, you got to take the best. Right. You got to. When you're in a hurry, is the worst time to do it. Absolutely. You know, because then you get. It's kind of like going grocery shopping when you're hungry. <laughs> you know. 
I'm not sure. That's the best example probably any listener of this show can relate to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> go eat before you go shop. <laughs> that, that's the truth, you know. And um, if you if you know what you can afford, mm. right, and your bank is most likely going to give you probably a better interest rate because what happens when you go to the dealer is they're shooting your credit out to their, you know, vast array of dealer financing institutions. Dealer financing is a totally different um, division of banking. So if you go into your local branch, if your local your local bank does consumer lending, they could also do dealer finance lending, which is a totally different part of the bank. So I had I'm gonna give you a small example. Mm-hmm. So I had a I had a customer who had two jobs, okay, and one of the I mean both of his jobs paid very well, and he was uh, he had he had millions of dollars. So he paid off all of his loans and he had no credit. Because mm. once you pay off all your loans, even though you're wealthy, if you have no trades on your credit report, it's going to appear like you have no credit. So mm. you need to maintain some sort of credit where you're using it and paying it back, even if it's just a credit card that you're borrowing and paying back on. Because people are saying, well, I don't, want, I don't want to have this debt out here. Well, that's fine. But you need to be actively using certain, you know, some it, sort of credit. At least one trade, if not multiple different types of trades. A trade is just a type of borrowing. So your your mortgage, your auto, and your credit card are three different types of trades. Okay, mm-hmm. and so this guy went to the dealer to get a new truck, and like we just mentioned, it's hard to get a truck. He wanted a sp- well. I take that back. It was a it was a van. It was a work van. Okay, it was a specific type of work van that three years ago anybody could get anytime they wanted to on the lot. But right now. He had to, the guy, he knew the owner of the dealership and he's like, if you want this van, I've got one. I got one now, but you need to come over now and get it. Right. So he did the financing and it shot it out. So he was a customer of our institution before he went there. Well, the dealer financing side still happened to be our institution. Oh. <laughs> and so the the dealer financing side is just looking at, Things coming across the computer, they don't know that you are Hango Wood, right? Or Hango, sorry, or, or, or that I'm one of your right. customers, right? You just see the name. They just see they just see the information coming across. Oh, not so a name. You, you yeah. just see social security numbers, number probably exactly. right. credit reports and social security numbers and all that stuff. Well, they don't know that you're they've been with us for twenty years, or whatever. Right. So when you come into the branch, I do know that because I'm your banker, right? Well, this guy was really, really, really upset because when they came back, they were going to give him a loan, but it was going to be literally at 12%. Ooh. Ouch. Okay. And the because it was so hard to get around to the, get this van, the dealer had to mark it up to make a profit. Right. So it was literally a $15,000 difference between what they were selling it for and oh. what the value was. So he comes in with a chip on his shoulder, which if I didn't know either, I would too. Yeah. Right. And he's like, well, why, I've been a customer here so long. I've, I've got this much money in your bank. Well, I can see that he's got all this money in the bank. And I said, well, what did they tell you? Well, I got no credit. Well, that's the reason why. Yeah. So because I knew him, or I got to know him, actually. I didn't know him before, but I got to know him. And I reached out to an underwriter, and I said, hey, on the dealer financing side, oh, I can't see the dealer financing side. It's, it's, a, it's a separation of duties for a reason, right? Yep. But she said, Re, let me rerun this. And she came back with all these things that we – reasons why it would be difficult to get it done. But the, at the end of the day, we got it done at 4%, mm. a little bit more than 4%. It was like 4.5%. Still. 4.5% or 12%, right. right? So I had to work my ass off to get that deal done. 
but the customer doesn't understand the consumer doesn't understand the the difference in relationship, right? But they just see a loan as a loan as a loan, but it's it's not that way. A personal loan, a home loan, a car loan, totally separate in the bank. Right. And on the dealer financing side, like I said, they're just it's just information coming right. across. So, Ones and zeros on a screen. So having a relationship with your banker is good. Being transparent about your finances is good if you want to borrow because they're going to find out anyway. Yeah, just tell the truth up front. Yeah, and you're going to – not all the time, so I don't want to, any false pretenses, but a majority of the time, if you're a qualified borrower like this guy was, even though he didn't have credit, we can tell the customer's story. Mm-hmm. So now there's a human aspect to it. Right. Now, there are borrowing rules that are that are set for everybody so because it's fair lending, mm-hmm. but – we can work with somebody differently than if numbers are just coming across the screen. Right. So like we were talking about earlier, eyeball to eyeball in certain transactions, that's, that's better. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. You know, when it comes to credit cards, you're not going to get a better deal. It is what it is. You know, it's based on your credit and income. But when you're talking about auto financing and things like that, we can, or maybe it's a personal loan and we can tell your story a little bit differently. Sometimes that does have a benefit. Oh, for sure. You know, that's, um, there's a, you know, I'm into motorcycles and whatnot. And there, if you are into motorcycles and you want to learn about buying a new or used motorcycle, there is a company called Revzilla. They've got a website where they sell like motorcycle gear and parts and everything else. They also have a very active YouTube channel where they do reviews and show new products off. And they also give you tips on buying, navigating the purchase of a motorcycle. Very informative stuff. Their number one tip is go to your own bank first. Go there and find out if they're willing to give you a loan on a motorcycle and get a statement of credit. Is that what it's called? Well, you get like a, yeah, it basically tells you that what you're approved for or something right, like an that. offer. Yeah. yeah. So they'll give you an offer. I'm guessing it'll have like a percentage rate up to this much money. I'm guessing. Yeah. Go there first. And then when you go to the dealership to look at new bikes or any leftovers they have from the year before, year prior, um, don't answer the question, what's your monthly payment you want to get into? Because they'll get you in that monthly payment. Absolutely. One way or the other. Whether it is stretching it out over 15 years <laughs> or whatever it may be. Don't. That's, that's not the question. You're looking for the bike you want. Right. And he said, you know, so – Take the bike on a test drive, do whatever, come back, and they say, how do you want to finance? You can say, well, look, this is what I got from my bank. If you can beat it, good luck. Absolutely. Because then you've got a fallback plan. Yep. You're, you're, make, you're making that dealership finance work for you, not exactly. the other way around. Exactly. And, you know, when you, like you just mentioned, if a dealer, if a, if a salesman says, well, what kind of, you know, what are you, looking, are you looking for? Yeah, what kind of payment are you trying to get into? That... That could turn in because you they didn't ask you how much do you want to spend on a car, right? Because, What's your budget look like? Because that car, always look at the sticker price and see what's in there because they got the sticker on the window. Look at the out the door price. Just peruse and look around. I I always go and look around, and sometimes I go online to look to see what their bottom, what their out the door price is, and then you know that okay. When you say out the door, it means everything, right? Fees, taxes. 
everything included, what you're going to be paying bottom line. Absolutely. For, for people who don't know what bottom out the door means. Right. And if you, if you, uh, in your mind's eye, if you're saying, let's just say 25 grand, you want to spend 25 grand. Well, you know that you, it's well, not almost about, five grand is going to be taxes and everything else. Exactly. So you can, you can go prepare from the bank because you know, you've looked and saw what you want. You can get pre-approved for that dollar amount and not worry about all the extras that the dealership's going to put on you because the dealer's there to make money. So they're going to they're going to offer you the appetizer and the dessert and you know the cocktails, cocktails all that kind of stuff, you know to to uh you know enhance their the ticket, the bottom line, you know. And so just be prepared if you if you go on a lot and you say today I'm driving off with a car, you probably will. But do you need to? No. No. What you did is you if I'm correct, you you looked around for a while, and you and you thought it out, and you decided what you wanted to do before you pulled the trigger. I started looking in August, and just bought in. What is this now? April. I just bought last month, March. So I looked for a solid six months. Yeah. Is that right? No. And you can feel good about it because yeah, seven months. Yeah, you had time to decide whether or not it was the right thing. You could change some th- some things. You could bounce it off of your partner. You could bounce it mm-hmm. off of your and and kind of get some grounding because as human beings, we're kind of especially our generation is that microwave generation. Let me get it now, pop it now, instead of waiting the ten minutes for the popcorn to pop in the on the stove, you know, or what you know, just a simple you know kind of uh, thing, but. Don't just go and decide that day because that's going to be the worst thing. Yeah, don't it's, wake up and say, "I'm going to go buy a car today." Right? <laughs> you can, a, but it, it's not your. It's, it's not, not your. Going to be fun. No. Um, you know, as I was talking to you the other night when I started looking, I was like, the first thing I did was, okay, how much can I afford comfortably? Not how much can I afford and have nothing left over at the end of the month. It was how much can I afford comfortably without putting myself in a tight spot. You know, weighing in if emergencies happen. How much am I? How much am I going to be putting away at the end of the month? Things of that nature. And I brought up uh, the Herm Edwards. I heard Herm Edwards say, you know, uh, he was a he may still be coaching. He coached at Arizona State last time I heard. He was a football coach, coach for the Chiefs and everybody else. Been in the game for a long time, and he is really big on players excelling not not only on the field or during their career, but after their career. Yeah, having them set up for success when they leave the league because they're going to be playing an average of three years. Absolutely. And these players come to him and say, Coach, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do this. That's great. What's your plan? Because a plan, a, a goal without a plan is a wish. You're just farting in the wind. Absolutely. Nothing's getting accomplished having a plan without, or having a goal without a plan. So when I first sat down, I was like, okay, how much can I comfortably afford per month, and what do I need? Not what do I want or, you know, what would be nice. Because our know? wants always outpace yeah, our I mean, need. I would love to have a Lamborghini Aventador. Who wouldn't? Right. You know, but do I need a Lamborghini Aventador? No. No. So I decided on a Jeep. Did I want the Rubicon 392 with a big V10 engine in it? Yes. Did I need that? No. Not for any reason whatsoever did I need, did I need that big of a, a truck. Right. You know, so instead of getting that $94,000 Jeep, you know, I got the forty thousand dollars Jeep, ninety four thousand, mm-hmm. which is like a house. Yes, a very nice house in my in my neck of the woods. Right. You know, and 
one good rule of thumb, just to reiterate from our last time we talked about finances, is just if all the listeners could think about their debt-to-income ratio. And if, mm-hmm. if you don't know what that means, a debt-to-income ratio is how much income are you bringing out and not how much do you make because how much do you make is taxes, you know, your 401k goes, you know, all the things. But what is your take-home pay? What is your pay? Now, lenders will look at your 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 salary. Right, your gross. Your gross. But as an individual, you should look at what you're bringing in because that's what you're using, right? Your net. That's right. <laughs> Individually, you will. Now, they'll use your gross because mm-hmm. that's how they do it. But individually thinking, you want to say, okay, first of all, I've got – my rent or my mortgage, and if I don't, then that's not part of it, okay? And then you've got your your all of your bills, your utilities, your groceries, all that kind of stuff. And you want to keep the payments that you're making. So not how much debt do you have, not like not like if you have a $100,000 house, not, oh, I have a $100,000 house, but what is my mortgage? It's 1200 bucks a month or something like that. So that factors into your debt-to-income ratio. You're looking at what am I bringing in versus what am I paying out? And you want to keep that ratio at about forty less than forty three percent. That's where you get the better interest rates. Okay. That's where you're. That's where they have calculated over time that people are most comfortable. Because if you come and say, "Well, I can afford this," but they're going to factor in things that you're not thinking of. They're going to factor in things like your groceries, and groceries are on the rise. Are they not? Because because you have to have living expenses. <clears throat> yep. You know, just because you can afford with your gross salary. A fifty thousand dollar Jeep. Does that mean in reality that you can afford the fifty thousand dollar Jeep? So you want to you want to do some math and some homework on that, and think about what you're paying out. So if you have a credit card that you carry a balance on and you have four grand on it, and your minimum payment's a hundred bucks, well, the part that you're going to calculate for your debt to income ratio is the hundred bucks, right? So that's just an example. So you you, you can have a you can have your own balance sheet, your own. You know, record there where you got a column for what do I pay out, what do I bring in, and that's your ratio. You want to make sure that's, you know, at or less than forty three percent to get the that's best. Very, type of very wise information for sure. Yeah, and you get to yeah, anything you're going to buy is like that. Whether it be a car, a pet, you, you, you have enough money to take care of this thing, keep it alive. Then you don't have enough money to buy one to begin with. Absolutely. So why even look at it? Right. You know, because every every living thing you have in your house is your responsibility, whether it yes. be a spouse, a child, a pet, whatever. And you know how many times I've heard from people that are in the adopt-a-pet industry that people drop off their pets because oh, they got the pet. They either adopted the pet or bought the pet with thousands of dollars, and they can't afford the, the vet bills, they can't afford the food because they got to eat too. You know, So that's one factor you got to think of. What what size dog do you have or cat? I mean, not size cat, but you know what size dog because – a Rottweiler is going to eat more food than a miniature schnauzer. Yep. You know what I mean? So what are the health implications? you got to, you got to look at the long-term things. You know, does this dog, and this sounds very simple and minute, but does this dog have a, uh, is it very possible this dog is going to get diabetes or this dog is going to have joint issues right. or hip this dysplasia, stuff hip like dysplasia. So you got to be thinking, okay, in a few years, this dog could need surgery. So do I have a plan for that? Is this is this dog a very active dog? Do I have a a, a fenced in yard this dog can stay in? Is there a is there a dog park nearby? Am I going to have time to spend two hours in the evenings with this dog to get it worked out so it don't tear my house apart? Because they will. Right. These active dogs will absolutely chew the walls out of your house if they don't get the energy out. They'll find a way. Right. 
Yeah. And that's just one part of finances people don't think about. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then and then if you think about if you want to get real specific about what where you shop and things of that nature if you're going to have some long-term stuff like say paper towel rolls, you know, if I buy two paper towel rolls at Walmart, you know, bounty rolls and the and the two pack is 5.95. Okay. But then just as kind of like a juxtaposition Costco for 15.95 I can get 25 rolls. Right. Well, yeah, you're going to have a $10 difference right away, but what is what's the difference? Well, now I don't have to spend 5.95 every week. Yeah. I'll have it for 7 weeks. Instead, yeah. of, instead of spending instead of spending 250 a roll or $3 a roll, I'm now spending less than $2 a roll. Cuz I know that I'm going to use paper towels, right? For sure. Now the difference is fruit. <laughs> No, I'm serious. Fruit, I get you. Yeah. Fruit, fruit was, is going to go bad quickly if you don't eat it fast. Same with meat. Same, Same with meat, right? So meat you can freeze. Fruit, I guess you could freeze. But if you want fresh fruits, what I'm talking about. So, yeah. for example, go and buy the little thing of strawberries that you're going to eat today and spend a couple bucks on it instead of buying it at Costco. and You can't eat it all. Or you get the whole bushel. You get the whole bushel. You can't eat it all, and you've just spent an exorbitant amount of money on something that you're going to throw away. Unless you're Matt and you're making right. a delicious strawberry jam. Exactly. But you're a common household person. So you've got to kind of think about what are you spending your money on. A lot of people don't either don't have the patience for that or they don't have the wherewithal to think like that. But that's where, that's where the little things build up. Mm-hmm. One cool credit union that I saw, a local credit union that I saw, and I'm sure many financial institutions do, which I kind of like, is say, for example, you use your uh, – you've you got to check an account with them. Use your debit card. The purchase is five dollars and forty-one cents. Well, fifty-nine cents or whatever that sixty, yeah, fifty-nine cents will go into a savings account, and the credit union will match it with fifty-nine cents. So now you have a dollar eighteen in savings. Very cool. Yeah. Right. So if you're trying to save for something and you're not a great saver, look for stuff like that. Yeah. You know, Tink uses uh, Acorns. She loves that app. Uh, for those who don't know, Acorns is, is a free app you can get. Um, and what it does, from what I understand, uh, if you buy something for sixteen fifty, it rounds it up to seventeen and puts that fifty cents into your own little savings account in the app. You just link it to your checking account, from what I understand, or, or whatever. <clears throat> so she's been using it for three years, and she's got a nice little chunk going you yeah know, and they take that money and invest it however you want you can it's a little, little knob on the screen that you can turn to conservative to very aggressive now if you go very aggressive you got a chance you're going to lose some money you know, right because they're going to they're going to put that stuff into some emerging fields and whatnot hoping one of them hit but if you go conservative they, they put that money into very standard you know one percent a year kind of things, and over time, if you if you keep that money in acorns, if you can leave it alone over thirty or forty years, it's going to keep growing. Yeah. Before you know it, you you've got some money. But like you said, some people are not good at saving, and some people aren't good at leaving conservative investments alone and just let them do their thing. Right. Like people who might like they want to cash out their four hundred one k. 
you know, I pulled a little prank on you when you came down to see us. <laughs> I told uh, he he came over and mom and pop were there and we were going to have dinner and uh, 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 Jay and pop were were looking at gu- look at some of the guns we had and me and mom were standing in the in the hallway. I said, "Hey, watch this." And I said, "Hey, Jay, I got a question." And he's like, yeah, and I said, "So I'm looking at." Uh, pulling some money out of my 401k. And he goes, whoa, now you understand. <laughs> There's penalties involved in this. <laughs> he went serious real quick. And I'm like, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. He grabbed his heart for a second. <laughs> but yeah, you sh- you shouldn't do that unless it's absolutely necessary, right? Or you should know what you're getting into. Right. And I mean, it's never too soon to sit down and talk to an actual advisor. And if you're young and inexperienced, get multiple um reviews done from different in, from different uh, financial institutions because you have like I've mentioned before you have your kind of your brokers um, your brokerage companies or your financial advisors they have to do what they have you know they have to do something that is different than a fiduciary does brokers so, have to do what's right for their company well they have to do what's suitable is the word so it can suitability is like this real gray area. Yeah. But like with a financial institution like you, well, that's it. Well, you've got to do what's right for the customer. We at do. All times. We do. So like, for example, I'll give you a difference. So the financial advisor, someone that's managing your money for you, actively managing your money, they, any type of financial advisor, they have so many different things they can sell you. They can sell you annuities. They can sell you CDs. They can sell you managed money accounts where you have like a portfolio of different stocks and bonds. You can have different things like that. They have to do what's considered. They do a suitability test or study with you, and they have to do what's suitable for you, which could also be suitable for them because they're going to make money on certain things, right? The difference between that and maybe like a trust company is the trust company is a fiduciary. They always have to do what's in best interest of the customer no matter what. So even at your banks, they'll, they'll have a trust company sometimes or they'll work with one, and they'll have their financial advisors. Those are two different segments of the bank, right? So when, you're, when you're, you have money but it's not more – usually trust companies work with like 500000 or more okay. of liquid investable assets mm-hmm. or um, retirement funds that are just in your social – I mean full, retirement funds are going to be only in your social security number. Because it's individual, right? So it's got to be if you if you're family and, and you have a million dollars, but you have seven fifty and the spouse has two fifty, well, that's a million, right? But what they're looking for is one account with more than five hundred thousand. They want the one person that that money's tied to. They'll take both people, but this they, one of them's got to have at least the one person with with the most money. But your financial advisor will do anybody that's got thousand bucks or five hundred bucks or whatever it is, and they're going to do a suitability thing. So just looking to see what works best for you as an individual and what your asset size is and get don't just stay with something because you've been there the, the whole time or your your grandma did it or your dad did it or your mom did it investigate it for yourself because your situation is completely different your tax situation is different your asset size is different your uh, what you want to do in the future is different so there's so many different factors and you should look at those regularly. Right. You know, as you grow and get older, you make, I'm just assuming, but you make more money now than you did when you were 18. Oh, for sure. Yes. So if you had a financial advisor at 18, well, your lifestyle, your life events have impacted everything that you've done or will do. And now your life 
financially is completely different than it was then. So just because we think of a kid at 18 and midlife at 40, well, as you get older, your kids, you, you don't, you know, your kids aren't your responsibility anymore. You know, your house might be paid off that you need to look at different. You need to get more feedback more often. Right. You're a totally different person from right. the time, even from the time you were 16 to 20, you're different. Right. Imagine, you know, 22 years from 18 to, to 40, you're right. a totally different person. And just because your financial advisor has done well for cousin Jimmy, mm-hmm. well, cousin Jimmy's situation is way different. And you may just as well be okay with cousin Jimmy's advisor, but getting a second opinion never hurts. And a second opinion shouldn't cost you. No. Okay. So you, you have the power. It's your money. It's your life. You, you're hiring somebody when you're telling, asking them to manage your money, right? Just because they're your friend doesn't mean that they're looking out for you. Yeah. Okay. So I always tell people to get multiple different uh, reviews. And then, like for our company, we have a thing called My Blocks. And it's a life stage thing where you can, you can, you know, lower something here and raise something here and model different things so okay. you can see, okay, if I do this, this will happen potentially, oh, theoretically, wow. you know, and it gives you different life stages. So, because your life changes so much right. and your advisor can do stuff like that with you too. They can model different things based on what your goals are or based on what you have. Cause at the end of the day, it should be everybody's goal to not outlive their money or their resources. And if you haven't planned, well, your resources is going to be theoretically, if it's still there, social security right? or your 401k or your assets, if they have appreciated, like if you own a house and you're, you're saying, ah, this house is too big for us. Now our kids are gone. We want to downsize. Well, is downsizing going to save you money or cost you more money? I've had many people that did not downsize. They wanted to, but it was actually going to cost them more money to go somewhere smaller. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you got to think like that. You're thinking you're saving money by going down, but really you're probably digging a hole. Yep. Kind of yeah. like somebody that we know when they were looking for another place, they were rent like the person we know, they were renting a place thinking they might move, but when they saw the difference, they were going to get less house mm-hmm. for more money. Than, and then never mind, I'll just stay here. Yeah. You know? I don't blame them. So <laughs> me either. And, and you got to think like that long term, but you also should think, okay, what is the upkeep? Am I going to outpace the cost of upkeep? Right. Am I going to? Do I need someone to check to make sure I took my medicine? Mm. So do I need to live on a on a property where someone comes by where it's an adult like assisted living. assisted living? You know, assisted living is expensive. Yeah, very much you so. Know? So you can own a bungalow in an assisted living village or something like that, but the person will come around and check to make sure you took your medicine or you didn't fail Evan fell or something like that. And of course, that's going to come with a little bit more cost. Um, but to to my point. People thought they could save money by downsizing in their later years, and they just at that point they weren't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now with this last year or so, where the where the economy, the mortgage economy or the the property economy, kind of exploded, where people are paying overpriced for stuff, that's when they would have made more money and right. been able to move. But then where do you go? Mm-hmm. There's no inventory, right? So you got to have a plan. You know, I, I think you know I, I should, there's for those of you out there who. You don't even have to be into car culture if you enjoy good stories, which I really what I kind of want this podcast to be. If you listen to this podcast at all at any time, you know most of my podcast is just stories, people telling stories. 
I think the human experience is stranger than fiction. It's better than any book you'll ever read or even think about writing. True life things that happen to people are things that, you know, it's where you find a common ground, you know, in some form. Like, yeah, I can relate to that in some way. I said the other night, first time I ever had Matt on, you text me. Man, I, I, I connected with that dude so much, just him telling his stories of life. Um, there's a YouTube channel called VinWiki. And it was started by a guy named Ed Bullion. And he he started a <clears throat> exotic car rental company out of his dorm room at Georgia Tech when he was 20. And so, um, like anything, a lot of cars come with stories. Car, people's, car, car people come with stories. Um, and I always thought, man, look at that dude. Or look at that guy. He's driving a Ferrari for an everyday driver. Look at that dude. He's driving a Lamborghini Diablo as an everyday driver. That dude's got a G-Wagon as his everyday driver. After listening to some of these stories from him and other people in, in like exotic cars, those people don't have money. They are car rich. Yes. They will go, these people will go and take loans out on these very exotic, very limited cars. And just not make a payment on them. Just right. <laughs> just drive them to the <laughs> bank comps, you know. And I was just flabbergasted at <laughs> some of this stuff. <clears throat> uh, but I sent you one of the videos, kind of ties into what I'm going to go to next, about the PPP loans. Right. Do you, do you want to kind of describe what happened the, with the PPP loans and cars? Yeah, well, people, the, the PPP loans were the, part of the CARES Act. which like, I wanted you to go into what that was. What, which stood for payment protection loans. Right. And what payment protection was, was or excuse me, not payment, paycheck protection. And so it was literally for businesses with different criteria where the uh, where COVID impacted them. And they had to shut the door. So their employees, theoretically, weren't getting a paycheck. So to protect the employer, the common citizen, the small business could get a forgivable loan to protect their paychecks for a certain amount of time. So six weeks worth of pay. It was li- literally the government subsidizing paychecks through through banks, right? pretty much. Right. And so you had some bad actors out there who were falsifying because the because the plane was being built as they were flying it. Right. There wasn't a lot of can, there wasn't a lot of protections per se. A lot of checks and balances. A lot of checks off. and balances immediately. Now there are checks and balances, but the immediate checks and balances weren't there, and so people were abusing the system and getting false CARES Act loans falsifying their their payroll and all that kind of stuff and they were their purpose was to buy things like houses, cars, things like that, you know or spend money whatever they just to get money, free money, quote unquote. Well, what would happen is they would go buy these exotic cars and then they wouldn't be able to pay it or they something would go wrong. So, on like on this video, they started checking all of their buyers against the database for PPP loans. And if they were a borrower, they would have to prove that pre cares act, they had the funds to buy these vehicles and it was helping them protect themselves on the business side so that 
the government didn't come back and repossess it. And take <laughs> it's exotic it. cars. Yeah, exactly. Or collector cars. And then they would be out the money. Right. You know what I mean? So that was that was pretty incredible. And I there's a couple people that are going to jail, you mm-hmm. know. And what I did hear from somebody the other day, I was at a at a meeting with a guy, this black guy that I know, and he told me that um, one of the ladies, this is not the CARES Act, but a different type of bad actor, one of the ladies that started Black Lives Matters or one of the people that was in there, oh, yeah. she got put in, she's getting put in jail because mm-hmm. she robbed them, her own people, of their generosity. Right. Yeah. And by just buying all kinds of stuff. So just protect yourself, vet who you give your money to, who you support, um, you know, and then any bad actors, protect yourself from, you know, if you're doing business with people, know who you're working with because that could come back on you or you could take a loss. When this all started happening, um, because we came up during COVID the first time, and uh, you and I were talking about um, how it was affecting banking and whatnot and how the CARES Act was going to work with y'all. And you had said, you know, we, I work for a very conservative bank, um, and, you know, we're setting money aside now in case people go tits up on these loans and don't pay them back. And you said the other day, everybody has done the major, vast majority has done really well about getting the money back to you. Right. Go keep going. <laughs> yeah. There, there was just, there was a couple of people that I reached out to over and over and over again saying, Hey, we're coming down to the wire here. We need you to apply for the free. I mean, it's just really going and clicking a couple buttons and it's forgiven. It's, you know, it's forgiven and, and just, but people are just wrapped up in their lives. I'll do this, you know, another day or I didn't have time or I can't figure it out. And so, a lot of the time, the human being, if they can't figure something else, something out, no matter what it is in life, they'll let it go until it's too late, and then they have a bigger problem. Yeah. Right. Always make the time, even if you're a small business owner, and you don't have time. Make the time to make your books right, or make yourself available to take care of things. Because if you don't, it'll snowball. Yeah. Um, we also talked the other night about which I wouldn't talk about here. Dealing with the IRS. And how important it is not to ignore them. <laughs> if if I've heard so many people say, if you have a bunch of debt and one of those debtors is the IRS, forget everybody else. Or just let them know you'll get to them when you get to them. But you need to talk to the government first. Yeah, pay your pay your IRS debts. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Unless pay you don't debts. want to do it. <laughs> because they will come after you. Now, this is this is a very serious thing. The The government never calls you. So if you get a phone call, that's fraud. Excellent. Yes. If you if someone ever if your bank ever calls you and says I need you to verify your pen number or they want you to do something that they should already know, it's fraud. The IRS will send you a, a letter on their letterhead. The bank will call you at a known phone number. They already have your information. They have your now if they're going to verify your identity, they'll they may ask for the last four of your social and your mother's maiden name, but they're not going to ask you for your full social. Right. They're not going to ask you for your PIN number. They're not going to ask you for your account number. They're not, they're not going to ask you to log in and click on something. Right. You know, what we've seen a lot lately is there'll be like someone will spoof an institute, any kind of thing, but an institution and send you an email. Right. So make sure when you look at the URL that it's your legitimate bank, there's nothing added to it in the URL. So if it's your bank, so ABC bank.com just make sure it's not abc.chinese 
you know, <laughs> check in. Not, not, su- not, yeah. not suspicious website.com. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because what they're doing is as you're, they're going to put malicious malware on your computer and they're going to track your, your movement, your keystrokes. And when you log into your online banking or whatever, then they're going to be able to see that and they can, what we've seen. So my point is what, I, what we've seen later is that the, someone will call and say, Hey, someone's, this is, we're, we're calling you about fraud. Someone's debited your account. And what they've done is they have logged into their online banking, taken money from one bank account that you have and transferred it to another account. So you're so frantic that you're not, you're not looking at what's happening. Mm. And then they say, you got to click on this button to get your money back. And then they take all the money. Right. So stuff like that. So don't, if you ever, if someone ever calls you, hang up the phone and say, Oh, thank you. Then go right to your bank. Yeah. You know, go face to face. If you can't go face to face, call the number that you know for sure is like the number on the back of your debit card. That's right. going to get to your bank. You know, for sure you're going to get there and talk to the right person. Um, but just, just be careful when you're talking to someone, you don't give up your personal information or you don't click on websites through emails that you get that could be from fake websites and stuff like that. That's the one that almost got me not long ago, actually uh, got an email and you know, you have an iPhone. Mm-hmm. So like when you, when you check your email, if it's a contact or something, at the top, it will have, like, that name, you know, even a company that you deal with. That company's name and maybe, like, their logo next to the company name. It's like a clickable uh, sender. You can, like, actually hit on it. I got one from Apple. At the sender, it was, like, the Apple link. Please call us. We've got an issue with your account. I called them, and I knew immediately when they answered it wasn't Apple. Click hung up. PayPal. I've been getting emails from PayPal with a PayPal header. Please click this link. No, 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 no. Be super careful. Context. If you will read what's said in that email, if there's misspellings, yes, or not the common use in English, you can know real quick this is bullshit. Or if they're asking you to click on a link in there, it, it, it's just like, they'll say click here, and the word here will be the link. Do not click that here. Do, right. Don't do it. You're going to end up in a world trouble. Because now they can also install malware on your phone. Right. Think about all the stuff we do on our phones. All of our contacts, all of our, our, our work stuff, yep. our career, poof, gone. You know. And we've had problems where I work at. With phishing scams. Yep. I mean, terrible. Because we, you know, in my job, we deal with a lot of confidential information when it comes to patients. And so they are just doing everything they can. You know, why would the, here's the, here's the one that got people. People were getting emails supposedly from the CEO of our company. Hey, I don't have time to do this. Would you please take care of this with a link? Okay. Why would the CEO of our company send little old me something? Right. That should be an immediate red, unless you work in a day-to-day facility, a day-to-day contact with a CEO, you've got no reason to ever click any link sent to you by the CEO if you're some peon on the chain, you know. Absolutely. And if you get a call from someone that says, hey, we've got your family member, you know, they're in the hospital or they're they're in jail and they've asked us to reach out to you because they can't contact you and... 
they need you to help them bill out or, you know, to be able to get, you know, your, did you know your grandson was in the Bahamas and he just got an accident and to be able to take care of him, it's going to cost five grand. The people that are with him don't have the money. Right. We need you to wire that over to us right away. Any good grandparent. And, and I'm telling you, it happens. We stop so much fraud. Yep. Right. And good, good bankers know how to identify fraud. So, and, and bad guys know how to identify people that aren't as experienced to take advantage of them, including the consumer and the, and the banker. So you got to be very careful. You, I always ask people, did you, did you know who you're sending this to? Did you initiate it or somebody else ask you to do it? You know, have you vetted this thing that you're doing? Did you call the hospital to see if that person's there? Did you call the jail to see if that person's there? Not the number they gave you, the number that you find that's the common county jail, you know, number or whatever. The jail will tell you if we've got an inmate like that. The hospital will say, there's somebody here, you know, yes. um, most of the time, unless it's a HIPAA violation, they can't tell you. But at that point, don't send any money. Well, typically, you know. typically, a hospital will tell you if somebody's there. They won't tell you what happened to them or what's wrong or whatever, but they will say, yes, that person has been admitted. Right. Right. So just that's a huge thing. The other thing is the IRS. If anybody asks you, and it sounds far-fetched, but I'm telling you, if you knew how many times during the week we get this, you'd be astonished. But what they'll tell people is, you're somebody that you know, or you are you or a close person of yours is going to jail today if this tax debt's not paid. So what we need you to do is because it's we need to turn this around quickly. I need you to go buy three thousand dollars worth of Apple gift cards, <laughs> scratch off the back of the car to give us the numbers. Yeah, you, and people get so scared. They don't even think. Does why, that why even would, make? Does that even make sense? Why would the IRS take payment in Apple gift cards? Exactly. <laughs> no. yeah. So does that even make sense? That but in the heat of the moment, so you got to tell yourself ahead of the time, so that you're prepared. That happens to eighteen year olds. That happens to thirty year olds, forty year olds, sixty year olds. It happens to everybody. So it's not just old people getting scammed. This happens to tons of different right. people. The scam is different a lot of the time, but it's the same if you think about it. They won't like they'll call. I've heard. They'll call uh, elderly people specifically, and they'll say, well, "We need this money. We need a credit. Well, I don't have any credit cards. I don't have a debit card. We'll go buy you know a thousand dollar prepaid Amex. Yes, and give us that number, and it'll work just as good. Well, I'll go to Walmart and get a thousand dollars worth of prepaid Amex and start scratching numbers, reading them off, and these yeah. people have been duped. A lot of the places like Walgreens and stuff like that have been trained now that if somebody is buying Xbox cards that mm. doesn't seem like they play Xbox. Yeah. They're going to ask them, why do you need $3,000 in Xbox gold or whatever? I don't, yeah. I'm not a game player, but you right. know what I'm trying to say. Xbox or wh- currency or currency. whatever. Why do you need $3,000 worth of Apple cards? or whatever? But when I'm saying thousands, I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. And guess what? Now we there's nothing we can do. No. It's out of our it's, hands. It's in the wind. Go it's on. in the wind. I had a lady that lied to us, admitted to me that she lied to after After about three weeks, she admitted to me. <laughs> She what she told us, and she was a person of means. When I say means, more than more than middle class, not wealthy, okay? upper middle class. Yeah, saved all her money. I mean, this is the money she was going to live on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, she came into the bank at first. She's like, "I need five thousand dollars in cash." Okay, because that doesn't raise as many eyebrows as some other denominations. But okay, what do you need it for? We always ask. So, what are you what are you doing? You know, because it 
People are like, well, that's not your business. Well, we're trying. When we ask those questions, it's because we're trying to protect people, not because we care what you're actually. We care what you're doing, but we don't get a vote whether you do your deck or not. We're just right. trying to protect just to make you. Sure that yeah. You, so it's not a gun to your head, I'll right? Back. So, oh yeah, I just got these workers, and always be leery of anybody that wants to be paid only in cash for large projects. Gotcha. Not not your massage therapist, of right. course. That's sixty bucks or fifty bucks, whatever it is, but. Well, I've got these guys that are that told me they could do it cheaper for cash. If I do it, they're doing my deck. Okay, well, five thousand doesn't sound that sounds reasonable. But when you come back the next day and you need, well, I wouldn't enough. I need ten thousand. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I need to withdraw twenty more thousand so I can get. They told me that while they were doing this, that they could do this. That well, she'd been making this whole thing up. So someone was scamming her in relation to one of those scams, right? Right. She sent $40,000 in cash in a FedEx envelope. Oh, my gosh. To Ohio from Missouri. And I guess at some Walgreens, you can pick up or drop off your FedEx package. Yeah. So they, on the other end, they saw the, they don't know who it was because it wasn't the person that was on the package, of course. It it was with fake IDs or whatever. I don't know how they got it, but anyway, the per- but then the person's gone on the wind. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to trace. It's kind of hard to trace that, right? Yeah. So we actually fired that customer wow. because that is a risk to the bank's reputation. Right. We can't have you lying to us about what you're doing, and then you going out and saying, "Well, my bank let me have this money," you yeah. know. So she admitted, "Hey, I was under duress. I lied to you to get the so I could get the money." And I realized now that I sent the forty thousand dollars that I am I was wrong. I mean, the person wasn't as emotional as you thought. I mean, they were emotional, but they weren't like bending over World backwards, collapsing, crying, yeah. and all that stuff. But they were. And I, when I told them, I said, "Listen, you've created a you've created a problem now for us. We we can't have you as a customer." So not only did she lose her money, she lost, lost her bank. bank. Yeah, and she's probably been there for years. I'm guessing. And guess what? She got. It's. I'm not. I'm not even mad at her or. I feel bad for her because she did that to herself because she wasn't prepared. Yeah, and y'all were trying your best to protect her by asking simple, simple questions. Mm-hmm. What, what amount would it take for me to come in to like, if, say like I had a substantial amount of money at your bank, let's say close to a million. Mm-hmm. And I came in one day and I said, I need to get a hundred thousand out of cash. Would that be enough to make everybody like, Oh yeah. Do, do y'all have any, fail safe about contacting the police about a certain amount about hey this guy's came in here to withdraw a huge amount do we need to have a talk with him or what well what in that scenario what we would do is we would kind of try to vet that we'd kind of we would do a full s- scope of questioning like you know tell us a little bit more about what you're trying to accomplish you know what you're trying to do <laughs> see if it makes sense would the police be involved at that point not yet okay so we would we would find out what because that does happen sometimes well i mean i've heard people like Coming in to get big amounts out like that, and they're trying to pay a ransom of some sort. Well, just so everybody knows, banks don't have money anymore. Right, that's they, very they, true. They have money; they don't have cash. Right. No, I, I'm making. I'm joking, but it's all ones. It's all more. It's more ones and zeros than it is actual cash bills. Right. I mean, we don't get me wrong; we have cash, but it's not what people think. Mm-hmm. It's not like the movies, right? The vault's not packed anymore. So, in that scenario, we would first vet them, and if it was something we felt like could be a possibility, they would need to talk to our. Um, physical security uh, division first, they would ask them some more complicated questions. And if it was, it turned out legitimate, we would have to make a plan mm-hmm. to 
So it's not like on the spot. Right. So if you have something like that, you need to make a plan with your financial institution and then it can be organized. And then there's going to be, there's going to be a plan. I just put it that way. There's going to be a plan to make sure that you get it safely. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes what will happen in certain circumstances is you'll be, you'll, you'll be required to sign a document that says, once you step foot out of here, you're basically on your own. Right. And we've warned you that this is not a good idea. Because anybody who can hear a fart can hear your conversation. Yep. And now they, you know, I can't stop Joe Schmo from overhearing what you just told me, you know, and God knows what they could be up to. You know what I mean? So be careful how, if you have, if you have something like that, what well, my recommendation is to talk to someone in a private office, mm. say, Hey, you know, nothing's, don't go to the teller window. Nothing, nothing's wrong, but can I talk to the manager in their office? Sure. And then you can talk about your business in private because at the transaction line, everyone's going to hear your business, right? So, And saying $100,000 cash is going to turn some heads. Right. I don't care who you are. I always ask people because people are like, I need to get cash. I'm, I found this car on uh, Craigslist or eBay or something like that that I want to go buy. Or not eBay, but you know, some, some platform. Marketplace. Or, marketplace. Or well, where's the car at? Oh, it's in Ohio. So have you physically put hands on this car? Have you... Have you seen the title? No, but I'm going to go up with $30,000 in cash. Do you <laughs> someone come in with you? Because you're about to get robbed. Mm-hmm. You know, I've only seen a handful of circumstances where it was legitimate, like very little handful. And it's like you meet me at the bank, not in a parking lot at Target. Right. Right. Just make sure that if you have a transaction like that that is actually legitimate, that you do it in a police department, a bank, something where – Someone can observe something. You know, you come in. It's just very sketchy sometimes. And and before you hand over anything, look at the title. Does the title look correct? Does is there a lien on the title? Yes. If there's a lien on the title, even if it says, you know, J or Hango, you know, X Y Z last name. If there if it says X Y Z Bank lien holder, you want to see an official notarized lien release that you take with the title because if you don't have the lien release, it's going to cause you some problems on the other end. Right. So make sure everything, all the paperwork is in order. Do a notarized bill of sale while you're at the bank, even if you create your own so that they're at the bank, they usually have a notary you could find out, but they can notarize that bill of sale while the two people are standing there. Right. Now the IDs are documented you know the paperwork's in order. Now, the, your banker's not going to tell you, yes, this paperwork's in order, because then that creates a liability. Right. But if you're going to do that kind of transaction, you need to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I had something similar kind of happen to me um, when I was selling that uh, Honda Magna motorcycle I had. It wasn't, I mean, Magnus are kind of sought after by certain groups. that They were extremely, extremely large engines on very small frames. So they were very light, and they would really go. Um, and I had a I had posted it on Marketplace when I was ready to sell it. I'd get a few people, hey, is this still available? You know, whatever. This guy contacted contacted us. Um, he was going to come from Houston, Texas, to where I live to buy this motorcycle. I'm like, great, you know, awesome. Which you know is not unheard of in motorcycle culture. Guys, guys will travel a long way sometimes. I mean, you know where I live. It's not like 
right over the right over the bridge to Houston or anything. It's a pretty good haul, little haul. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, "Great, that's awesome." He says, "It got a tag on it." I said, "Nope, that tag's coming off of it before it comes before it leaves because you're not. It's in my name, and I'm not having you knock off four banks on the way back to Texas <laughs> on this motorcycle. You know, be in my name." He's like, well, I'm planning on coming up there and riding it, riding it back. Better come up with a different plan. I was like, well, that's, that's great, but there's going to be no tag on it. He's well, is it insured? Well, it's not going to be after you leave here with it. It is now. That's being canceled before you leave. Right. All right well, I'm going to have a friend drive me, drive me there. And I'm going to ride it back. He's going to follow me. I said, okay. He's like, I need your address. I'm like, nope. I'll meet you at the Walmart in my town. He's like, okay. And I said, do not bring a check. You better bring cash. I don't even want a certified check. I want actual cash and $100 bills. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 no problem. We'll be there Sunday. Sweet. Just give me a heads up what time. Probably be around 5 or so. So I'm thinking this guy's going to drive back to Houston through the night on this motorcycle. Sure. I'll, I'll believe you when you get here. You know, didn't say it to him. I was like, all right, sounds great. Sunday came around. It's two, three, four o'clock. I sent him a message. Hey, man, how far out are you? Oh, I found one more local. I'm just, I'm just going to take that one. I said, okay, great. Thanks. Wasn't he going to tell you until you said something? Oh, yeah. He, he, he was going to be just a ghost. Mm-hmm. He'd, already, he'd already went on to the next sucker. Yeah. But if he makes sure it's making, you know, if the tag's still on it, still have insurance, they're about to try to pull some crap. It wouldn't be a bad idea, too, to, for example, if you have an able-bodied person, if you're going to do it, say you're going to do it in a Walmart, and you're in, you know, whatever stall you're in waiting for the guy. Maybe you have the person you know in a nondescript vehicle watching what's going on in case something goes down. Right. Right? That's just, they don't, the other person doesn't know about it, only you know about it. Mm-hmm. Right? Or do it in a police station or a you know, bank or something like that. But also... Without telling you what to do, protect yourself. For sure. Yeah, you should always be armed. Mm-hmm. No matter if it's Walmart or wherever. <laughs> always have, always have a weapon on you. All right. Um, now, our local uh, sheriff's office now has got parking spaces uh, for people to meet, like for Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. Um, they originally they originally had two slots, two parking spots for child exchange, for uh parents who were dropping the kids off for joint custody and there might be some animosity animosity between the husband ex-husband and wife and they want to be somewhere secure they had it the front two parking spots to the sheriff's office right in front of a camera so things could be handed off you know or the child got things but the child could be handed off and if, if anything happened it's right there on camera and they've now expanded it to like five slots, five parking spots for any kind of, if you're meeting somebody to buy something or trade something, you can do it right there in front of the sheriff's office. Everything will be seen if anything crazy goes happen. There was a kid here, a college kid, I, I, within the last five years or so. Okay. He put one, he put his car on some sort of platform to sell it. Well, another young man, kid, young adult, whatever, Oh yeah, let me go and test drive this or whatever. So they met in some area by the quote unquote person's job to test drive it or whatever. Well, he murdered the guy. Oh my god! Stole the car, and they had to figure it out because they didn't. I can't remember the whole story, but that's the premise. Okay, 
mean, just two college age kids. One was a college kid. One was a just a kid, you know. But anything can happen. You don't know if they've been, you know, if it's a gang related uh, proposition. Hey, you got to get this done to be part of the clique or whatever. Or yeah. if they just have a murderous streak in them and they they want to take advantage of somebody. It can happen to anybody, you know, and uh, you don't want to lose your life over a transaction or lose your money. Yeah. So I, I I am not of the mind of traveling outside of my footprint to buy anything large. Right. Because most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, you can find the same or similar thing in your own area, and you can do it more carefully. Now, that doesn't mean that it's, being local means it's going to be correct, but you have a greater chance of having something go wrong if you were traveling to buy something especially when you have that much cash on you. People know the scam business is booming mm-hmm. and you don't want your hard-earned money to go to waste and to be devastated or something like that. Right. And they have nothing, nothing at all or not have your life or not have your life. Right. Yeah, you got to really watch um, just a word to the wise. If you're looking through Facebook marketplace or Craigslist or whatever, and you see it, you see something posted and it is too good to be true. It probably is. When I was looking for a motorcycle that I wanted, I was looking, 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 and I saw one posted, and it was like two grand cheaper than all the other ones. Pop's like, hey, how about that one? I'm like, there is no way that motorcycle is real. It's impossible <laughs> that motorcycle is for that price. Absolutely, and you'll and you'll get a lot of. This is an older scam, but it's still a scam that's out there. The you know when you when people wrap their cars for advertising. Oh right, yep. Hey, well, you know if you if you let us wrap your car, we'll give you five hundred bucks so you can advertise for us. And what they'll do is, well, we got to take your car to the shop to be able to wrap it, and then we're gonna we'll pay you and get it back to you. No, you're not going to have a car anymore. Yep, they're stealing your car from you. So in a barn somewhere, <laughs> it's been gone. It's gone. So. Anything where it's quick, easy money or things are cheaper than they should be or it's too good to be true. And, and I think it was you, maybe it was somebody else, was telling me that the free advertisements are out there. Like, come get this free thing oh, off yeah, this other, the, and then uh, they'll come rob you. Yeah. You know? the, uh, they had a, 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 a rash of that in Birmingham. Uh, Craigslist had, a, like it's like curbside free. Yeah. People, people would just put like a couch out next to the curb, free to the first one who come gets it, you know, or a TV. Yeah. I'm going to leave a 55-inch TV on the curb. <laughs> first one to come get it, you're going to get a hammer, and you're going to get knocked in the head. So what's going to happen. Exactly. Did you have like a, a rash of a, of a hammer murderer around St. Louis at one point? I don't remember. It was something like he was like on a, like a, a five-kill streak with a hammer running around. Your, I'd have to look at that. Cause it was I, like an East St. Louis or something, just like smacking people over the head with a I hammer. I wouldn't be surprised. I know it's not funny, but a hammer murderer, really? <laughs> I know it's, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but I didn't actually hear that story. But, you know, it was a few years back, I think. But I was like, damn, yeah. go, to, go to St. Louis and get a good hammer is what you're going to get. Absolutely. And, you know, this sounds a little bit far fetched, but it actually did happen here in Missouri. It's a very famous story. I won't get into it. But if someone asks you to meet them somewhere to sign some paper, even if it's a friend or an acquaintance, hey, let's go to the, the library and get this. Uh, I need you to notarize something. Or I need something notarized. Make sure you read everything because they could be changing a document on you that's a legitimate document for like for example, like your life insurance. Yeah. You know? A will. Yeah. Anything anything that could be potentially life altering, 
make sure that you have your attorney look at that if it's something uh, that's going to affect your life. If you don't have an attorney, get a second opinion from a, a trusted friend or colleague, you know, so that you don't get caught up in um, any type of problem that you don't want to be involved in. Um, and then if anybody asks you to, hey, I've, I got this job over here I want you to do, you know, they see someone struggling, I could pay you a thousand bucks to come do this or I could do that. No. Yeah. No. There are ways. You're talking about the car wraps. There's a, uh, I'm, they're not a sponsor of the Hango show. But there's a, 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 a website called Rapify. If you want to, if you're thinking about making some extra money by getting your car wrapped and you want to get it done legitimately, not some just fly by night Craigslist ad, you can go on Rapify and you can pick. They have like four different levels that, from a total wrap to a just like sides. And they will kind of give you, you have to answer some questions like, you know, how, how far do you drive every day? What area are you in? And they will team you up with um, a product to advertise. And, they, and you sign the contract and everything online, and then you take your car to a, a legitimate car wrap place nearby. While you wait. While you wait. <laughs> or, or you have one of their cars. Right. And uh, you bring it in, and they wrap it, and... They pay you through the app. Yeah. You know, that's a legitimate. Don't go to Jim Bob's car lot. They're going to let you advertise. And all of a sudden you come back a couple of days later and your car is gone because he put it on the lot. Right. You know, if you're going to do something like that, be sure what you're getting involved in is 100% legitimate. Absolutely. So what else is going on in finance people need to be aware of? Anything new going out, going on or? Nothing new under the sun. Just a bunch of different, uh, you know, the 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 world that we live in um, is where you know. Obviously, a lot of people know this, but I would say that if I if I had to put a time frame around it, within the next decade, we could probably be at our least cashless or our least cash position society we've ever been in. It'd be more cashless. I know we've been hearing that for. A long time, decades. But you know, I, I don't know the exact year, but it was, I believe, the late seventies where the first ATM machine was ever introduced. Right. And so now we are essentially three decades later, and most of the transactions we do on a daily basis are electronic or with a card. Um, I think that under the guise of security, that we will probably move further and further away from cash. Further or further away from checks, um, even even buying checks to use have become has become more expensive. I don't even have checks. Yeah, I always tell people to have at least some you know a handful of checks, or if not, just a small half pack of, of checks, just in, just in case you need one. But most most businesses, unless you're buying something really large that is. For, Unless you're going to pay your um, the guy doing your roof, he's probably not going to take a check. You know what I mean? Your local grocery store, they might take a check, but you write them one bad check, one bounces, they're going to put you on a on in check systems, and then you're not going to be able to write another check. Yep. You know? The days of going to, I remember my mom used to go to the grocery store, write a check for fifty dollars over, and they'd give her fifty bucks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Give her fifty bucks because she wanted a little cash. Well. If that happens, it's very limited now. Mm-hmm. 
But with your debit card, you get cash back. Yeah, most point of sale places, it, right? You swipe it, it asks you if you want cash back. But it's been so long that I've since I've used a check in that scenario. I don't even know if that happens anymore. I don't think it does. I wouldn't think. I could be totally wrong. I've been behind the register in a long time. Yeah. So I don't know if if it still does or not. It's not a bad idea to have some checks just in case networks go down or you have to have something to to as a backup. All your you know you're out of you know. I don't know what scenario would be the perfect thing, but <laughs> like a natural disaster, yeah, like hurricane, wildfire, yeah, can take out some of those systems, especially hurricanes. If power goes out, point of sale. A lot of point of sale places they will let you uh, swap your card as credit, and it will go through once the power's re- uh, power is back up and running. Yeah, they call that being in stand-in mode. Okay, so kind of some inside knowledge. There's a stand-in limit. So, for example, if your most debit cards have a limit, a daily limit. Even if you, even if you have a million dollars in your account to protect you, and so they don't, in case there's a fraud situation, you have a limit, a daily limit. Which you can sometimes, if you're going to make a bigger purchase, you can call your bank and say, "Hey, can you temporarily raise my debit card limit or my credit card?" Normally, not credit card because credit's it's credit based, but your debit card. I need to make, I need to buy twelve thousand dollars worth of first class plane tickets, mm. but my daily limit's only ten thousand, or my daily limit's only five thousand. Well, they may do that for a period of like you know hours or 24 hours, something like that, and then it goes back. But right. that's a protection mechanism. Um, I did it to me when I first started banking where I bank at now. Uh, I realized I only had like a $400 limit for cash withdrawal per day. Yeah. Well, shoot, man. Sometimes I might get the want to run to the casino at midnight. Right. And I can't go in the bank and get 700 or or 1000 out. Yeah. I want to be able to do it from the ATM. And so I was like, can I get my... Daily withdrawal raise. She's like, you can request it, and it'll have to go through the manager. Mm-hmm. You know, this was like after I've been banking there for I don't know about a year and a half. Yeah, and she's like, how much would you want? I get like eight hundred. You know, so I felt like a little. It was like a little short form you fill out, handed it to her, and like the afternoon I got an email. Hey, your limit's been raised. It's been so. Yeah, if you want it raised, you can always request. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about like debit card like running the card actually, but like you no know, cash limits. If you request it, a lot of banks will allow you to do it. Yeah. You have a purchase limit and a cash limit. Right. Yeah. So usually you're usually in most circumstances, you have a $10,000 per day purchase limit. That's kind of, that's kind of like a, a card system norm. Fail safe. Yeah. Thing. And then your withdrawal limit, like you mentioned, but like I was mentioning for stand-in limits, <clears throat> they're going to look at when I say they, Computer systems, an algorithm is going to look at what's normal for you, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a stand-in limit. So, for example, say, for example, the card system is down, but you need to make a, a purchase at any merchant, you know, Home Depot. Well, even if your normal limit is <clears throat> 10000 to protect the bank and to protect you, your stand-in limit might be 800 mm. until the system's back online. Right. So you can always make a purchase – to, you know, so you have some access, but they're going to limit the access to make sure that both sides are protected. You know, because whatever we authorize, we're required to allow to go through. The, so, if the bank, if the if it's a legitimate transaction, and um, it's not fraud, if you went to any merchant and you and we allowed your card to be authorized for that amount, we are required. Even if for some reason tomorrow you you only had five hundred instead of a thousand. 
we still have to overdraw you and pay that to the merchant because yeah. we've already allowed that authorization to go through. So that's where that protection comes in so that we don't overpromise and not be able to do that. Yeah. When I say over, when I say we, it's an algorithm, it's a system, you know, but uh, just that's where you have to plan to have another card. You know, you have to plan to have a different form of payment. Don't don't get stuck with one option. Yeah, I guess sure. is the point. Yeah, I don't. Man, I wish. Um, I'm seeing it more now. People are saying, you know, I've heard forever. Oh, I wish they taught this in school. I wish they taught that in school. A lot of schools are really coming around to teaching more financial response or te- teaching basic financial responsibility. Yeah, I think it. I think at my kids' school they call it personal finance. It's a great thing. Uh, we we learned like the rudimentary part of how to keep a ledger, how to balance a checkbook. But it wasn't anything serious about like budgeting. We really didn't learn a lot about budgeting. You know, I I had a family that had a mother that showed, you know, this is how we budget our, our stuff. Um I, I the, just the the ignorance as far as people not knowing. Ignorance is something it's not constantly ignorant. I'm just saying they are they have ignorance to to anything. A lack of knowledge on finance. Or application. Right. Lack of knowledge or how to apply it. Right. So I think I've told you this before, but one of my favorite thing that makes me chuckle but also makes me cringe is that a parent will bring in their newly minted 16-year-old or 17-year-old to get their first account. And it's like they never had a discussion before they came. You know, I'm I'm looking at the kid to ask them questions about, well, you got your first job. What's your plan? What are you going to do? And all they do is the first thing to do is look at mom, look at dad. What do I do? It's my personal opinion, just my personal opinion. Make sure you talk to your kids about what's going to happen. Why don't you find out first? Have a discussion with them so that they can. You're stepping into an adult world, even though you're 16. Have some. Be ready for some answers. Be prepared. At least know some basics of. Yeah, me and mom talked about this. We're going to go ahead and do the checking account today. We might get the savings account later, or we've done some research. You know. This is how I'm going to manage my money. This is how I normally spend my money. This is the methods I use to spend the money and be prepared to talk about it because it's your money. Right. It's your life. I mean, you're 16 now, but if you're looking at mom and dad, that means you haven't talked about it as a family. You haven't done any research, which isn't the kid's fault necessarily because I think the parents should really be involved with their – when it comes to money – to a point where the kid can speak about it. When I take my kid into the bank, to, even though I'm in the banking industry, we're going to go to the website. I'm not going to necessarily make the decision for them, but I'm going to guide them to the decision and have them self-reflect on why they're making this decision, why it's what they're choosing, and then maybe redirect if they're not coming up with the right decision before we get there. Because you can look at products and services on the on a bank website. You can look at fees. You can look at how things are impacted. You can talk to your kids about overdraft, overdraft protection. You can talk about plastics, which are any type of prepaid card or regular debit card. Of course, a 16-year-old is not going to get a credit card. But when you're 16, that's the time you're going to start talking about credit, what credit means, why it's important to have credit, why it's important to protect your credit, why it's 
you know, how do you use credit correctly? How do you get in trouble with credit, right? How do you uh, budget? How do you balance a checkbook? Balancing a checkbook just means it sounds like an old-fashioned term, but really it's just balancing your ledger. Yep. Because some people won't have a checkbook. They'll have their online banking or their statement that they're balancing too. So that's just a roundabout way of saying make sure your money is in order. So many folks, lean, I'm guilty of it myself, leaning on that, that app to keep, to keep my balance correct. Hey, sometimes you may, they might not have drawn something out there yet. And you think you've got more than you actually do. And then you go make another purchase or withdraw money. And you're, you got your ass in a sling. Now you've overdrawn and didn't even know it. Right. So having a manual ledger, it may sound old fashioned. It may sound whatever. <clears throat> it's good to do. So when you write down everything, even though a, well, my app says I got three hundred more dollars than my ledger does. Well, is that has that went through yet? Is that cleared? Well, no. So I'm glad I had it written down instead of trying to go out and buying something for three hundred bucks and then I'm down. I'm nothing. I'm down to nil. Right. You know. It's also a good op- opportunity if people are like single people or people that haven't thought about this. Um, if you have an account that's just yours, like a sole checking account or a sole owned savings account, or um, you you own a piece of property, whether it be a vehicle, a toy, like an RV, any, anything that has a title or anything that has, that's an account, make sure that, A, you get some advice from an advisor, either your tax advisor, your accountant, or your financial advisor on um, protecting yourself in case you become uh, incapacitated or deceased. So that would be something like a uh, what we call a POD or a TOD. So POD is for financial accounts, so it's the account is payable upon someone's death. Mm, okay. Or TOD is for like um, a more like a t- anything with a title, a transfer upon death, like a like a, uh, a deed for a house or a car title yes. or something. And so the reason why you would that that's important is because if someone is your power of attorney, that's fine while you're incapacitated, but once you die, the power of attorney goes away. Because it's no, you're no longer representing that person in their life. Now they're deceased. Now their estate has taken over. Or, unfortunately, if they haven't prepared, now it's going to go through probate. And so, to have a plan to be able to, you know, easily access the funds. So if you're if you're a person that doesn't have your accounts titled correctly, and you're counting on someone to pay for something after your death, like keep your you, you want to transfer your house to somebody, but the mortgage hasn't been paid. You want to make sure that mortgage can get paid somehow. You want to make sure that your uh, utilities stay on until you sell the house, or, you know, whatever the plan is. Um, you want to make sure that your funeral can be paid for. So either if that's prepaid or pre- pre-planned or if someone's going to use the money that you have, make sure that they can quickly come in and be able to access it. So sometimes, <clears throat> and what some people don't realize is that in, in businesses you can have signers, authorized signers. In personal accounts, you have ownership. So <clears throat> you have your sole owned accounts, which are just you. And then you have you could have your beneficiaries, or if you don't, then it could go to probate, right? And if you have joint accounts, that means the last joint owner owns the account until all joint owners are dead, okay? And you can't remove a joint owner unless you close the account because of ownership rights. So for example, on... Some of my accounts, I have PODs. And then an account where if something happened to uh, me and Emily at the same time, I might want to have 
a family member that I trust or a parent or an adult child, somebody that you trust inherent, you know, implicitly where they could be, you know, they're not going to close your account and take all your money, you know, right. but if they're an owner also on this certain account, maybe your preparation account or whatever you have in there in case you die, they can quickly get access, you know, and then you have your accounts that you want to go to different people or different things set up differently, but at least you have something where someone can get access quickly. You know, that could be some, a good idea for some people, you know. I, I know it's, it's so morbid to think about end-of-life things. I, I don't like I don't like thinking, thinking about my parents passing. You know, that, that, that depresses me, you know, them not being here. But I think a lot of people don't put enough thought into that and like, okay, you know, I'm middle-aged now. What am I going to do when I expire? You know, and I think it's a hard discussion for a lot of people to have because we all want to think we're going to live forever. Right. But if you, if you or your parents aren't prepared for that, it can cause a lot of problems once somebody is gone. You know, let me give you a small example. Like I had this family <clears throat> where the husband passed away probably like a year ago. Okay. One of the accounts the gentleman had, his spouse was not on there. Uh-oh. And his adult children were his beneficiaries. Well, the spouse didn't know that. And the spouse thought we were just trying to, you know, what she said is, you're just trying to keep my money. You don't want me to have this money. No, ma'am. That's And we can't really tell her anything because she's not, it's a, right. it's, it's, it's not, her, not, business, it's not her business. Because during his life, he didn't want her to have that. Okay. He wanted somebody else to have that. So she went and got a court order from a judge to claim that as her property. Doesn't matter because the judge didn't, the judge didn't know there were PODs. The contract, which is the signature card, is what we go to, and those PODs are the ones that get the money. And so she went through all. You know, she did not stop to listen. She would not listen to anything we told her. She just was loggerheading on, wanted to do her own thing, and lost her mind on us because we were keeping her money. And it's not her money. What I said to her was. Do you, do you know of anybody that it could be? And that kind of let, you know, threw her off or killed her. But really, we can't even, we don't, in the industry, we don't normally proactively talk to beneficiaries, okay? And we don't tell anybody that's not a beneficiary who the beneficiaries are because it's not their business. Right. So it's a good idea. My point, one of my points is, is a good idea if you have beneficiaries, you may want to tell them if you, or leave it written somewhere where they can find it after you die who the beneficiaries are if you don't want them to know right now. Right. But make it don't make it a wild goose chase. <laughs> because then you have problems like this where the now the adult children and the mom bickering going on are at odds. And yeah. the and they even said to me, Well, we don't even know if we're gonna give this to our mom or not because this yeah. was left to us. But the mom's thinking, I better get this money. Yeah. Now it's kind of an estranged relationship there, but and I'm not saying that my, I'm not giving advice that you should tell every beneficiary right now that because you might want to keep that hidden, hidden, but have it somewhere that can be discoverable easily upon your death yeah. when they're going through your personal or with effects. somebody trusted, maybe someone a, with your trust, maybe yeah. a lawyer, maybe a trusted banker, exactly. Let them know what's going on or what your wishes are going to be. Yeah, and have it written and recorded. You know. Y'all, y'all deal. It's probably more legal. Y'all don't deal with any kind of wills or anything. I wouldn't think anything that's anything that's a legal document. We have to have reviewed by our legal team to make sure that it's in 
order. Right. Because anything can it's, be. It's waterproof. It's going to stand up. Yeah, because we're, we're liable for anything we hand out. You know what I mean? And information that we give, we got to be very careful. It's on a business need to know. And if it's not your business, you don't need to know it. <laughs> true. And that's how the owners want it. Mm-hmm. You know, the owners of the, of the accounts. Because you own your own account. Well, I didn't know if, um, whether it be something that is money, say like it's an account, if somebody leaves that savings account or those CDs or whatever it may be in, in a will, if the lawyer executed that all by himself or if that lawyer contacted that legal team or how that worked at the time it was it was done or after it's executed or how it works. So if it's not in a trust and if it's not labeled as POD, then it's going to go through probate. Okay. Or it's going to go through the legal system. Just as blanket as right. that's going to work. Yep. So in a small estate, and every state in the union has a different value of small estate. Okay. I believe, and don't quote me on this, but I believe in Missouri it's 50000 mm. So if I'm your son and you pass away and there's no POD on your account, you don't have a trust, but I'm your only son and mom died years ago, I have no brothers, no cousins, nothing like that. Then I'm going to go to the clerk of the court, and I'm going to file for a small small estate affidavit, and I'm going to attest to the fact that your estate, all of your assets are under 50000 and I want to claim account number 1234 with $5,500 in it is my property. Then the court, the clerk will sign off on that as an attestation of of that we've, we've done this. And so the, on a legal form, they will say Jay is the legal owner of account one, two, three, four. And he is going to claim this as his property. Now I bring that paper back to the bank and the legal team needs to make sure that that was actually stamped by the clerk, which they have, they can do that, you know, and then they'll say, okay, we authorize account one, two, three, four to be Jay's property. So then I pull up my dad's name in the system they close out the account and they give Jay the check, right, okay. or the cash, whatever. Well, I didn't know if there was any communication. I don't know if there was communication done when the will was drawn up, or it wouldn't. Nothing would happen until that was executed. In the state of Missouri, wills the will is still probatable. Okay, so the will is a good document, but it's not the perfect document. You want your PODs or a trust, because the trust becomes a legal entity. Mm-hmm. So if when you're alive, if you have a revocable living trust, you can do anything to the trust because you're alive and can revoke it. Once you die, it becomes irrevocable. Right. So anything that's in the trust, well, it's, it should have a successor trustee because normally, if you're if you're of sound mind and you and you pass away, you've been managing your own trust. But if a, if multiple doctors say, well, you know, your dad's incapacitated, he can't make financial decisions, so the successor trustee is now going to be the trustee. Well, we're, st- we're still using your social because it's your living trust. You're alive, but I'm just your trustee and you're the beneficiary. Mm. But after you die, I'm successor trustee. I have to obtain a tax ID number from IRS because ABC trust now is a legal entity versus a person. Gotcha. Okay? So the best way, if you if you have any means at all that you want to – be very specific on how they're distributed. You need to consider having a trust. If you have means, but you just want to really divvy it up the way you want to, you want 
cousin Jimmy to have this account and cousin Jane to have that account. You put them as your PODs. So you're saying that just to review, wills are great, but not ironclad. They're not ironclad because they can be probate. They can be disputed through probate. So TODs and PODs are the best way to insure. And those are done through through your bank. Yep. You just go, they put, they, you usually need to come with, uh, if you wanted me to be your POD, you would need to know my social, my date of birth, my physical address. And the reason why is so that when Jay Smith comes and Jay Smith comes, you know which Jay Smith it is. Right. Right. So the way we do it, if there's one beneficiary, we're going to pay the 100% to that beneficiary. If it's three beneficiaries, there's no way to do 33.3% because there's going to be a penny or two difference for whatever person. But we make either all three of those people be there at the same time or if it's impossible because they live in different states or something, those other two people before the account is closed will need to get a notarized letter of their signature and their statement of what they want. So if they want a cashier's check made made payable to them and mailed to 10 buck two, they have to say, I, ABC person, want my portion of this account to be made payable to me and mailed to ABC 123 Street. And then we have to have all that at the same time with the copies of their ID, so we make sure the right person's getting it, and then we disperse it all at one time. Yeah. Okay, Every institution may be a little bit different. That's how we do it. But um, TODs and PODs seem to be an ironclad way to be ironclad. sure people get anything that's going through a bank. Having a POD or a TOD yes. is an ironclad way that will even defeat a wheel. Right. There's no way to change that once it's once it's been ex- once it's been done. Yeah, because if I'm if me and Jane are PODs on your account, and Johnny comes by and says, "Oh no 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 no." Hango told me at the bar the other day that I'm getting the motorcycle. And I probably would. <laughs> the side-by-side. You know, well, I'm sorry. On the title, Jimmy John was the was the TOD. You're not. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what Hango told you at the bar down the street, even if it's in the will. If Even if I say I in my say, will. If, Jimmy John, if I put Jimmy John in my will, but the TOD was to, to you. Mm-hmm. It would, it would go to you instead. Absolutely. Gotcha. Now, the person could go to court and say, I want to probate this, and the judge is going to be like, I'm sorry. Yeah. The TOD says this. You know what I mean? So if there's no TOD, that's, that's where, we have, a, that's where we have a problem, sure. right? Yeah. There, you bought the car yesterday, and you didn't have time to put a TOD on there, or you didn't do it while you were talking to the finance guy. When they do the title app, if you, go to a, if you, go, if you buy anything with a title, while the person selling it to you is filling out the title app, have them put a TOD on there. Okay. Even if you want to change it later, have somebody in there because that's your legal backup, right? Do you just put right title on death and have another name next to it? Usually on a title it? app of any state, mm-hmm. for any state's DMV, there's a section somewhere on the title for TOD. Okay. Yeah. So you, if I was buying it from you know Chevrolet ABC dealership, I would just say, hey, finance guy, would you please put Mary Smith, Mary Kay Smith, on there is my TOD. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And they'll type that in there. Later, you can go to the DMV and do a form and change it if you want to. You can change it anytime that requires a new title because right. it's on the title. So you'd have to do a new title up and stuff like that. But always be prepared before you do any financial transaction that requires a signature card or a title or something like that that you're prepared with either one or more. Now, on an auto, I would st- I would stick with one TOD because you don't want someone fighting over half the Cutting car. car in half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you just want to be careful, right? And, and you do see some parents leaving their 
family home to son A, B, and C, and then son B and C needs to be paid out from son A so that son A can keep living there or buy the house and keep it because there's for some reason he wants to live there and the other guy lives in Boston, you know. But I see that a lot too. But but what I would that's where a trust would come in. Right. Okay. So what the trust could say, just as an example, is mom and dad's house, it's not gonna say that, but mom and dad's house needs to, you know, in 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 sixty days needs to be sold and the proceeds divided. Right. So that there's no question about what mom and dad wanted or whatever they want to happen. The trust is a legal legal you know, document, but be prepared with stuff like that, especially if you have multiple errors or even if you only have one single error so that a creditor can't come by and claim that they own something that they don't or cousin that come out of the woodwork or friend, neighbor. Right. Well, he told me standing outside the front yard I could have this lawnmower. Something similar as that, yeah. you know, simple as that. So just be prepared. You know, it. nobody has time anymore, so time is precious. So when you are in those situations, take the extra 10 minutes at that point to put your TODs, PODs on. That's a huge thing. That's, it's great information. I, I, never, I never even heard of a POD or TOD. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Because a lot of people think, oh, I'll, I'll get my lawyer, we'll get a will, and we'll be peace of mind. We'll be set. Check with your state, depending right. on what state you live in, what the will strength is. Usually in the states I've lived in, uh, the will is is probatable. The trust and the PODs and PODs are the ironclad. Yeah, wills are great. Don't get us wrong. But they're not solid a lot of times. Usually what a will is good for is, for example, if, if I'm going to be your um, personal representative of your estate and you trust me, enough to execute your will. I'm your personal representative. You know, you can make me your personal representative of your, or I can petition the the court to be your personal representative. And then if I'm an upstanding citizen, I will execute to the will. Right. But if I'm your trustee, I have to execute to your trust. I have no. And trusts um, are done through banks. Trusts are done through an attorney. Lawyer, through lawyers. Through, okay. Yeah. And a lot of people say, oh yeah, my attorney is my trust, my successor trustee. I would, not in all cases, but in most cases, I would not recommend that because every time an attorney does anything, they charge you for it. Right. And if you're not here to say yay or nay, and they're your trustee, they're going to make the decision of whatever they feel is right for the you know whatever they interpret the trust to say. So if the trust says, "Hey, uh, you got to pay," you know, I want thirty thousand dollars to go to ABC Charity. And then I want $50,000 to go to uh, DEF charity or whatever the circumstance is. Well, every time the attorney does something in relation to that, he's going to bill you for an hour. Billable hours. That's right. right. So, But if you have a trusted person in your family that's willing to step up to the plate and be your trustee, maybe you say, okay, this trustee gets for their time and you know stuff, they're going to get a set amount. Like, for example, in, my, you know, in what I've seen before is somebody say like, okay, the trustee – for anything that they need to, to do, they're going to get $3,000. That's it. Yeah. Or five, you know, whatever it is, so that they're not out here onesies, twosies, things. But the, but every time the attorney touches anything, they're going to charge you. Of course, that's their business. Mm-hmm. So just because they're your friend or you know the attorney really well, just think twice about making the attorney your trustee. Right. You know, now, if you want a financial company like a trust company to be 
like a successor co-trustee or a corporate trustee or a trustee, then you have a fiduciary doing it and they're bound by the fiduciary rules where an attorney can bill you for whatever hours they, well, it took me 12 hours to do that. You yep. know, I mean, usual and customary is probably what they'll go with, but it just, you, there's so many things to think about. And I'm not trying to tell people what to do, but just think about these things. It's your advice, man. It's yeah. all advice. Just think about it, explore it, do what's best for you. But these are just some tips and tricks to do, to look at. Uh, I'll tell you, a lot of guys uh, that I know buy um, firearm accessories that require an NFA stamp, a National Firearms Act stamp, things like suppressors and whatnot. Okay, if I go... Buy, if I could decide to buy one, fill out all the information, get the fingerprints done, the whole deal, and I receive that suppressor, I am the only one le- federally legal to have that. So when I die, that's got to be turned in or destroyed. Really? So a lot of guys will set up a trust with a lawyer. So like we wanted to start one, it'd be the Hango, J and Tink Trust. So we all together own that suppressor. Gotcha. So when Hango dies, Jay gets sole possession of that or gets possession of that suppressor. And then when you die, Tink would have it. And after she passes, it's got to be gone. But there's like groups of 10 guys that will form trust to buy this stuff. So when one of them passes away or, or something, or one of them may want to buy out, they're done with it. Have the other, have the group pitch in and buy their portion of that trust out. That's a really good point. And one thing that people also do, especially, and I'm sure around where you live, but around here, a lot of people like to buy property together right. for deer hunting. Hunting camps. Yeah. Right. So instead of a handshake deal, because we all know friendships last as long as <laughs> the money is okay. Right. Because money, man, does some weird things to people. But if you, you know, if you put in 30, I put in 30, and the other guy put in 30, let's have a land trust to protect ourselves so that my 30% goes to my family mm-hmm. and they can keep hunting on there right. instead of you being like, well, Jay's gone now. We get, we just, it was just a handshake, man. Yeah, we got another third now all to yeah. ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> now we're having it. So just, just plan for that kind of stuff. Be prepared Yeah, and talk to your family because I know money is very sensitive, but unless you don't trust your family, you know, I mean, some people, <laughs> some people don't. That's exactly and that, right. And it's okay. But I'm talking about trusted people, right? You know, let somebody know what the plan is and have it written down legally written down, not just on a notebook paper unless it's legal, you know. Um, don't just tell people what you want. Make sure that it's recorded because, you know, you want to make sure the right person gets the right thing. I've seen, I've heard like stories of uh, people starting businesses and um, even like, not even like app stuff, like people started starting like a car lot or a restaurant and it just blows up and becomes a huge thing. They become a franchise. They it become a big corporate entity. And 15 years later, some guy comes in with a napkin and says, we wrote this down together over lunch. I deserve a quarter or a third of this business over a cocktail napkin where they had scribbled business, quote unquote, business plans out on it. And they come in and tie up this big corporation into a legal fight over something they may or may not have had because the guys who are over the company now are saying, we never talked to that guy about that. That was, But to that person, they did talk about it. The dude did the scribbling on the cocktail napkin. He's got proof. (laughs) Exactly. 
we always tell I, my advice to any business owner if there's a partnership or there's more than one person you want to do a partnership agreement. Um, also, there you should have something in writing. For example, if you're the sole owner, right, and you want your wife to get the proceeds of your business or be able to get access to the, you know, the funds that are in the business account after you die, you need to have some sort of plan involved, right? A written, documented, legal plan of what's going to happen after you die. Because if you're the sole member of ABC LLC, well, your spouse can't just come in and take over mm. a sole member LLC. Now they'll be able if if there is a written legal plan of what's going to happen next, they could potentially close the account and get the proceeds after all the debts are paid and stuff like that. But there needs to be some sort of partnership agreement, uh, plan, a written plan of some you know uh, LLCs are famous for having sole members, you know. Just make sure you have the right documentation in order and a succession plan of what's going to happen next. We you know, going back to cars, that's what a lot of guys who buy these exotic cars do. They will buy a, um, let's say like a G-Wagon, a Mercedes G-Wagon. They'll buy this $200,000, $300,000 truck, and they will go start an LLC in Montana. And they will register that car in Montana, even though they're living in Atlanta. Uh, because uh, certain states have a lot better, a lot cheaper to get tags and registration. And so these guys are starting LLCs in these states, like Montana, where it's 25 bucks for a tag, no matter how much the car costs. You know, and then they're, but they're driving it in Georgia or New York or somewhere, well, Georgia started cracking down on it. And they also they almost weaponized the Highway Patrol to start fighting people for driving around with Montana plates. If your primary residence is in the different state. Right. Yeah. You're like, oh, this car belongs to my LLC. Well, it's registered in Montana. How long have you been doing this? We're going to charge you back taxes in all these years that you've been paying. You haven't been paying for this tag in, in, in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, it's because you're taking revenue away from their pet projects. Boo hoo. <laughs> <laughs> they can get over it. No, but the operating agreement will talk about, like an LLC operating agreement will talk about the ins and outs of the operation, succession planning, all that kind of stuff. And if you have a legitimate business need in Montana. Right. Right. So. Maybe you do have a legitimate business need in Montana, but like you said, you got to protect yourself from the government mm-hmm. because they don't care. It's yeah. just like you know, corporations. Everybody gets incorporated in Delaware. Do they really? I you know, know, you know about that? I didn't know yeah, that. yeah. No. Like like Facebook's incorporated in Delaware. Is it really? Even though it's based out of California. Okay. Um, there are. You need to, I got a video. I, I didn't you. know that. There's there's buildings, literal huge buildings in like Wilmington. Okay. That are nothing. P.O. boxes. <laughs> it's just glass and P.O. boxes in these huge buildings. Amazon's got one. Facebook's got one there. It's because they are legally incorporated in Delaware because of all the tax benefits and whatnot. I got you. Yeah. I did not know that. That's why all the banks, Capital One. Oh, yeah. Is, you send your payment to somewhere in Wilmington, Wilmington Delaware. Delaware. Yeah. It's because 
they are incorporated in Delaware because of all the tax breaks. I got gotcha. you. That's the one thing Delaware's got going for it. <laughs> That's int- I did, I'll have to look into that. I didn't realize that. I did know the fact that you make all your payments to somebody in Delaware. Yeah, but it's a peel box. You're yeah. sending your, your check to <laughs> A lockbox, and then it's, someone's it's taking them out and processing the payments. Yeah. It's like a five-minute video I'll send you. Yeah, and the guy walks into the building, and it's literally just floor upon floor upon floor of this building. It's just nothing but just lines of P.O. boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I got a, another thing I want to bring up. Sure. Celebrity financial advisors. Okay. Dave Ramsey. Okay. Uh, uh, Vanderchuk. Okay. You know, you're know, you familiar with these yes. guys. What do you think about this stuff? As far as I can tell, just talk about Dave, Dave Ramsey at first. Mm-hmm. He does He's probably the most famous one, I would think. He is, uh, from my understanding, and I haven't done like a big you know research on it, but from my under, my limited understanding, he is opposed to consumer debt of any oh, very much so. of any yes. kind. Yes, yes, yes. And in a perfect world, that would be that is great advice. Mm-hmm. And. Like I mentioned earlier to you, in a non-perfect world where the guy did exactly that, he had no credit. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Okay. But when you when he said he was like, okay, why am I paying 12%? I was like, that's some Dave Ramsey stuff right there. Right. Because theoretically, Dave Ramsey wants you to pay everything in cash. And then recently- if you can't I, pay for it, you can't afford it. That's and, his whole thing. And recently I heard him say, except for mortgages. Right. That's good. That's good debt, according to him. Why? I want to know. I want to ask him why. Yeah. Because why is consumer debt wrong? Or not wrong, but why is yeah? If if you have every person's situation is different. I can think back of when I first was younger. When I was younger, when I first got married, I would not have survived without consumer debt. It's a balancing act, right? Well, now I'm a little bit. It's it's not as difficult for me. I still use I still use credit products, but I cannot pay cash for everything. Yeah, and then you're living outside your means. Then right, <laughs> that's what he that's what he says. If you pay for anything on a credit card or have anything other than like a mortgage, you're living outside your means. You need to wrangle it in. And but that, like you said, everybody's situation is different, though. It's a good precept. It is. Great. But, but in, in functionality, yeah, I think it causes people to – if I were to dig inside people's minds, it can cause a lot of anxiety and fear and, and things like that because they think they have to do something that they can't really accomplish right now. The system – the American system is set up for debt. It has been since the beginning. Set up for debt because – I couldn't write a check for a $40,000 vehicle. I couldn't write a check for... And you should be driving a beater. That's what he says. Yeah, exactly. But how much am I going to spend to keep that thing going? Right. Is it warranted? Well, no. I bought it from Joe across the street. Right. You know, Uh, This country was built on debt. When we went to war with the British, what was the first thing we did? Borrowed money. We sent John Adams to the Netherlands to borrow money from the Dutch to fund the war. Right. Because... They knew as much as debt was bad, even to them. It's bad to get in debt to another country when you're trying to beat off the country that's on your back. It's the only way we're going to be able to say, hey, we're good creditors in this nation. Right. If you fund this war and we become free, we're going to pay you back. And we did. We did. For a long time. And now- I, think, <laughs> I think up until World War II, we were fine. I think what happened was, well, I don't, I can't say I know what happened, but 
the wartime effort created a lot of industry because we were building things to support the war. We are all the stuff was in support. The women were working to make things because the men were out fighting. There was industry around that. Women were starting to get paychecks. Ford stopped building cars, started building planes. GM exactly. stopped building cars, started building guns. And guess what? We were borrowing the money from somebody to pay for this, or we had the cash and we were just making stuff. But once you bring everybody home, and now Molly doesn't get to build any planes because Jim is back, mm-hmm. and now he wants his plant job back, that throws the economy for a loop a little bit. Yep. And then you've got lost revenue because Johnny's making a paycheck from the military while he's over there and Molly's getting a paycheck from somebody over here making the planes and now Molly didn't get a job. So now you're lost some revenue, some income. So how do you buy that first house? How do you do that? I mean, Dave Ramsey has a I, – I think, I think he's got a good precept, a good – foundation and he's saying the right things he really is i mean i can't argue with what he's saying mm-hmm. but functionality it to me it doesn't it's not it's not practical well i think he preaches that one verse about the borrower being the servant to the lender and he views any kind of any kind of retail debt as you're in chains to that bank when you should be living free and I agree with that. You shouldn't be taking out. I think he needs to focus more on excessive debt. That's what gets people in pro, in trouble. Right. You know, I've told you a million times, I don't use my credit card unless I know that I can get it paid back, hopefully in the first month, if not the second. You know, I don't like, I don't like owing people money. Right. You know, um, but I think Dave does go a little overboard with stuff, but. Tink is one who ever even introduced me to it. Like when we first started dating, she would listen to the radio show. And I smoked then, and I really wanted to smoke and listen to these people call in. It was like a freak show. They would call in, yeah, well, my, no, my yearly income is $1.7 million, and I'm 700000 in debt. I'm like, how? How are you in that much debt? Yeah, that's mismanagement right Well, there. how much does your house cost? $300,000. <laughs> Why? Right. Where are you living? You know, and how are you that deep in debt when you're making over, you're making seven figures a year? Yep. Do you see any of that at all in your own bank? Usually people that have higher paying jobs. Well, let me take that back. There's people that see dollar signs available to them based on what their paycheck is, right? But how sustainable is that? You know, I mean, with the workforce today that likes to work remote, like they're very, um, they're like 1099 employees instead of W2 employees uh-huh. because there's a big project that they, people like to, the the newer generation likes to be able to be outside of four walls. They don't want to be. Big industry type stuff. Yeah, they don't want to be confined to four walls. They want to be able to be in their travel van sitting in the Smokies in the morning doing their you know, emails, emails and their, and their deals and stuff like that, but they don't want to be confined in their 1099 plan. They're get, it's contract work. Yeah. They don't like the idea of have, getting a W2 at the end of the year. They don't want to walk into the plant or the office and punch in at eight thirty, and then punch out at five o'clock and go home to their work. They want to be 1099. Like you said, living the hashtag van life, right? You know, I could do this job while I'm sitting at Yellowstone. I could do this job while I'm sitting at Everglade national park. Yep. They want that. 
And so what happens is is that contract lasts, let's say, a year, or and they and they they make really good money. Their contract is worth good money, but then all of a sudden they can't get a contract because it's very competitive, or or they're in between contracts, and they've overspent. So every year they make one point seven million, like you just said, but they're not sure when that next con- it's it's feast or famine, right? Right. So they haven't planned out. So they want to maintain that lifestyle that they had while they had the contract or where they had that income and didn't plan for the downturn. Just mm-hmm. like a mountain climber, they do excessive planning to peak. Yeah. They, uh, people How? die coming down. How do I get down? <laughs> because people die coming down because the plan isn't as particular. Right. Or in the past that had been that way. So same way if, you, if you're used to a lifestyle or if you don't have guaranteed income for a long period of time – be careful how you're spending. Yeah. You know, just like I was telling you about that pro athlete that I, that I was telling you about. Yeah, I wanted you to get in that also. That's great. So he was, this was a multi-million dollar professional athlete who I saw an interview on and he, he came to the, to uh, the practice facility with his random normal human being car. Honda Civic. Yes. <laughs> and, when they did, you know, and so they asked him, you know, you can afford any car you want. Why, why? I'm sure he partnered like Maserati right. and, and things, Lotuses. Why do you have your, you know, Astro van here or whatever, <laughs> you know? And he's like, look, my wife and I have decided to live off $40,000 a year. Like every other person Like in every other person because we know that this may not last. Well, this definitely is not going to last forever and could last, be shorter than expected. So we're putting all of the extra money that we're going to make in savings so that we can live without worrying about it later yeah. versus the guy that made a hundred million dollars bought the $75 million mansion, the, uh, the, um, the boat, the boat, the yacht, the, all the cars, the Rolls Royces, the Ferraris and all that. Jesus, Jesus chain around his neck. A, he's huge chain around your neck with a Superman emblem, <laughs> you know, encrusted in diamonds. Yeah. And then you wonder why are my bankrupt two years out of the league? Yeah. That happens a lot. Way too much. That happened to Mike Tyson. Right. He had, he had five. I back. believe the number, and you could, we could look it up. I'm not 100 sure, but I believe the number was like over 500 million he made, and he was bankrupt. Well, he also had, he's also put a lot, he let Don King be his promoter and his manager. A lot of skimming going on there too. Yeah. And you have a lot of friends when you have money, mm-hmm. and when you don't have when you don't have money, you don't have friends. Poof, they vanish, don't they? Right. So. When you when we're when we're talking about living within your means, that can mean a bunch of different things. Um, but being smart about the future is important too. Putting something back, you know, paying yourself first, mm-hmm. um, making sure that if that revenue is not guaranteed, that you a lot of car salesmen have to do that. Right. You know they have to they have a really good month. Well, now they got twenty grand in their bank. But guess what? They didn't sell a car. That, I mean, you know, I'm sure they sold another car, but theoretically, they might not sell another car next month. Do you know how that works? How car sales? Work? I don't know the ins and outs, but I know that it's feast or famine. From what I understand, um, they get paid commission against against like a, a like a very very small wage. So if they don't sell, they get so much. But if they don't sell, they call they call it what they what they call it is. Going into the bucket. So I may have a month where I only sell three cars. Okay. Well, the the, the dealership's going to pay me 
a very, very small paycheck. But the next month, when I blow it out and get like 40 sales, I owe that dealership back that money that they sort of loaned me as a paycheck. Okay. So it behooves you, instead of going 45, 3, 35, 5 on your sales numbers, you're better off just selling like 20 a month. Or one at one a day, thirty. If you can sell, if you can sell one car a day, a, a you're car making dealer, good money. You are an all star, right? Because it, it takes a long time for that deal to close. While you're at the oh, for show. sure. So you get yes. caught up in one guy. You could be in finance forever. Yeah. So, but if you could, if you can, uh, I've heard like I heard a guy talk about selling Toyotas. He said selling Toyota pickup trucks is like you know selling water to a thirsty man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if you can get in a, in a car dealership and you can sell Toyota. Toyota pickup trucks and Toyota Corollas. He said, when they drive off the lot on the test drive, go in and start the paperwork because they're going to come. A guy who pulls up in a Toyota that's beat all the shit he's had for 30 years, he's going to buy one more in his life. It's going to last that long. Yeah. Yeah. Selling Toyotas and selling Toyota Corollas. He, he, Toyota pickup trucks, Toyota Corollas. He said, that is like a 30. If you're still stealing candy from a baby, yeah, if, if you're good at it. You can sell a car a day and make and have thirty car sales in a month. What are they? What do you think an average? You think guys making like a two two grand off each sale? Fifteen to two. Okay, on so, average at so Toyota. You, if you're making sixty a month, you're yeah. killing it. Yeah, and 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 the boss is happy because you're selling a car a day. You know, you're keeping inventory rotating on that lot, and that means because those cars in the lot, the lot don't own them. They're le- they've got those cars on the lot from the manufacturer. The manufacturers don't own the lots. That's like a that's like a legal thing. Uh like federally. So I if I'm a if I'm a dealer, if I haven't bought the car with cash myself as the dealership, then it's kinda like you're leasing it's kinda it like from the, from the from the manufacturer. Right. And so it's on your lot so you can sell it. But every month you pay you're paying the manufacturer for that. So car. that's why they don't like that's why at the end of the month they're trying to sell the car. There you go. Yeah. So, like, if I'm the manufacturer, let's say, like, I'm I'm GM, okay? And and you're Jay's GMC, you know, St. Peter's. <laughs> Come on down to Jay's GMC in St. Peter's. <laughs> also, check out our other lot over in Bridgeton. Um, and you say, okay, I need uh, give me uh, four Chevy Silverados. Give me uh, six Chevy Colorado pickup trucks. Give me a couple Escalades just for the looky-loos. You know, and maybe give me three Camaros, one of them as a convertible. Okay, that's what I want on my lot. Every month, you get to pay me to keep that on your lot. So you're making payments on those cars. Ah. So the sooner you sell that thing, get the payments on the buyer instead of on you, the better off you're going to be. You know, that's the reason at the end of the month, they're trying to make a willing deal. Yeah. You know. End of the month, end of quarter, end of year. That's and, when you want to go car shopping. And that's when the dealer's like, man, I, there's nothing. There's no other margin for me to. This is this is the. Yeah, you know, at the end of the month, You're this is the them. this is the margin I've got. Yeah. You know? And I asked a dealer one time, you know, what does the dealership make off this deal? And it's really the margin is thin because they're paying, like you said, I didn't realize they're paying the the uh, manufacturer, but they do have to pay for the operation. Mm-hmm. They got to pay the guy that sells it. They got to pay for the lights. They got to pay for all that. So the margin is razor thin. The advertisement. The they advertisement. Put out. So on every car, could be a couple grand. Yeah, and that's 
when you have a big operation, it sounds like a lot, but it's not really that that much. The margins kind of raised for thin. Yeah, you know, that's uh, you know, that's uh, I was really big into uh, professional wrestling when I was like a middle school, high school. And it, it really professional wrestling got huge in the late nineties between WCW on TBS, Turner Broadcasting in Atlanta, and then uh, Vince McMahon on USA Network and everything, and they were just having big wars. Well, Turner. Uh, uh, Ted Turner took a person. He was he brought wrestling to Georgia, like in the seventies, when he bought whatever organization it was, became WCW. And when those wars were going on, he's like, "I'm gonna start a second." It was always on Monday night. I'm gonna start a second show on Thursday nights, and he started that show, had it paid for just from car lot advertisements. Really, on Thursday nights, leading into the weekend sales events at all the car dealerships. Okay, because. Wrestling was marketed toward men, right? Eighteen to thirty-five, right? That want cars. That want cars, and so they built that whole show around just bringing in car advertisers. When do you want the girls to come over? Uh, they come. We're about to wrap up. We can come over right now. Okay. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. I'm very interested. Oh, that was that. just it. Yeah, that was okay. it. Was just so cool that you know he's like, I need, we need to do another show because people are wanting it, and we'll we'll do it on Thursday nights. Because we, we know the advertisement guys can sell these slots in prime time from 7 to 9 to car car lots. Because they want that leading into the week, that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday going in. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but the whole, there's a whole culture around car sales. It just blows my mind. I'm, I'm going to look more into that. It, yeah, it blew my mind the first time I found out about, found the difference between the dealer financing side of a bank or institution and the regular financing just because of the... It has to be different because they have to compete with all mm-hmm. the other dealer financing. But I just remember this one guy that I was that I knew from high school. Em and I were over there in Alaska buying this car. He, he's like, "Let me take you for a test drive." I said, "I don't think I need a test drive. I think I know that this is the one I want." He's like, "Looks at me. He's like, let me take you for a test drive." <laughs> I said, "Okay." <laughs> so he's like, "I only took you in this test drive because I wanted to talk to you about something out where we weren't here in the shop." He's like. This is what they're going to tell you in financing. This is what's real. This is what's not real. It's like, and this is what you want to get. <laughs> I'm giving you the high side right now. Yeah. Get in the car. So, so I was really appreciative of that because that, so that was somebody looking out for me. Is that a personal connection with them? And they wanted to sell the car. Of course, he wanted to make the money, but he also wanted to protect me from yeah. getting screwed. Snowball. Sure. It's like, this is what you're going to tell them you want. This is what you're not going to negotiate on. Man, I was like, perfect test drive, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, I really liked that a lot that he did that for me, and that was when we bought the car that we hated the most, which was a Kia Soul M. Because I made that was that was Emily's car. I wanted it because I saw the little gopher things or whatever oh, the little hamsters, hamsters in their head, and my and those commercials, like you said, very catchy. I thought it was really cool to have one of those. So when they first came out, that's what I want to get. But in the snow, they suck. Mm. Because Emily would always get high centered. Ever she would get stuck yeah. every single. They were day. pretty low. They're low, yeah. They? yeah. Great car if you live here. Yeah. Back then, <clears throat> they're even better now. But in the snow, forget about it. Yeah. You're gonna get high centered and stuff like that all the time and stuck. But, but I just really appreciated him for telling me, let's go for Her a test, test drive. drive. <laughs> yeah, and, and be listen. Some of these car lots, I'm not disparaging any any brand, but some brands, they're Certified dealerships can be a little skeevy as far as using some more subprime type stuff. Absolutely. Financing. So know what you're getting into. It may sound like a great rate. When they say we'll finance anybody, they literally mean it. 
but you're not going to like the financing they're going to offer you. Don't get caught up in the deal. So D- back to Dave Ramsey, you think that good concept, not always great though? Well, I mean, I think it's a wonderful concept, and I think the majority of people should probably try to get advice from that. Mm-hmm. But and and don't I guess don't feel shame. Is no, what I don't I'm, think it is gospel, right? Don't don't feel shame if you have to borrow because our system is set up to borrow money. Yeah, you know it really is. I mean. A lot of people are blessed enough to pay cash for a house of any dollar amount, whether it's a low dollar amount or high dollar amount. Some people are blessed to be able to buy a car, which is fine. Normally, that's money that either they've accumulated over a lifetime or that some family member has given them. But most of us who work paycheck to paycheck, to be able to, quote unquote, live the American dream or live in society, you gotta you got to have some sort of credit. Yeah. Right? And even though... Some people do very well. They need the other person to work. Some people don't need two incomes. In my life right now, we wouldn't we would be able to survive off of one income if we didn't want to have any lifestyle at all. Right. In my mind's eye, personally, there's some things that I don't want to go without or not be able to do. So for our family it's appropriate to have two incomes. Right. Some people it's not. Yeah. Some people want to live the rural rustic Bare minimum life. Life where they live off the earth. Or Very they Spartan. Spartan. They're, and I'm not a person that has a lot of things. Like I don't need a lot of toys. I don't need a lot of things. But I want to enjoy my life. I want to be able to buy my kid some things or mm-hmm. let them do some stuff. And sometimes that requires some credit. You want to go yeah. out, be able to go on vacation and have experiences with your children. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I'm not saying that go out and put everything on credit. Don't yeah. don't hear that. What I'm saying is this society is set up for credit. Don't feel shame if you don't have cash for everything. Right. But also on the other side of that coin, be responsible with the credit to who much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. So if you're given credit, if you're given the ability to spend the money, be protect that and be careful with it. Yeah. All right, Jay. We've done two and a half hours, man. We've done pretty good. Love it. <laughs> Thanks, thanks for hanging out so much. This whole week we've been up, or half week we've been up here. Absolutely, we've hanging out a lot, man. We just had a had a blast. Thank y'all for being such a great host. It was great to come up here and see y'all again. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> uh, thank y'all so much for listening to this episode of the Hango Show. Be sure to go by tripodbroadcasting.com to check out all the shows in the network. Also, be sure to visit our sponsors like ebles.com, A B L E S, and you can save fifteen percent on some premium CBD products using the promo code HANGO. Also, be sure to check out MyDelta8.com. The 8 is spelled out. Again, Jay, thank you so much, man. I love you, brother. Love you too, man. Uh, I love all y'all out there for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Bye.